The following is a conversation that I had with a friend from church on Friday, February 11th. We had hoped to talk about our respective journeys away from the faith and how we found our way back, and we covered that a bit, but we covered a whole lot more ground. We ended up with a lot more material than we expected, and uh, I thought most of it was worth keeping, so I hope you guys enjoy. <laughs> okay. Um, who should but start? I, I'll start. Yeah. Because I, I think it's really interesting how we have both, we both grew up Catholic, right? Mm-hmm. And we left the church in our teenage years yeah. and had, had a bit of a time getting back to where we belong. And I know in, in my case... I went pretty hard into the atheism. Mm-hmm. I was very, very much into scientism and like we can we can solve all of our problems with technology. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I I was involved in the rationalist community in Berkeley. I, I was lucky that I happened to be in college at the time that this great Harry Potter fan fiction was wrapping up called Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality. <laughs> Are you familiar with it? No. Well, I believe it is the most read Harry Potter fan fiction ever written. What? But, <laughs> but it was written by this guy, Eliezer Yudkowsky, mm-hmm. who is a, an artificial intelligence safety researcher. And he was he was one of my personal heroes okay. for some time. I got to meet him very briefly at the the rap party for his great Harry Potter fan fiction. It was a community that was mostly based around a website called Less Wrong, where this guy Yudkowsky had written a bunch of essays about rationality and how how to avoid common mistakes in thinking. And that, that was really the kind of thing that I was looking for at that time because I had really drifted away from my faith in middle school into high school, in, in my teenage years. And, and there were a few different reasons for this. Part of it was my family was less diligent about going to church. Um, and also, I was just, I had problems with authority in, in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And, and one way that this manifested was just not wanting to believe what my parents believed and, and have to follow all the rules. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So, so I had really, I had drifted away from Catholicism and I was still kind of ambivalent about my, my identity as being a Catholic or a lapsed Catholic or a recovering Catholic was a term that I heard a lot. Yes, yes. <laughs> Suggesting that this was some kind of a psychological trauma or issue yeah. that you have to overcome. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Or, or an addiction. Or, or an addiction, yeah. <laughs> right. And, and I guess it... Like, being in Catholic school 
was the kind of environment where it was really easy to to form an identity around being a non-believer. Mm-hmm. And so I came into college with that sort of mindset. Yeah. And I joined the Atheist Club. Um, I ended up being president of the Atheist Club. It was It was one of my more involved uh, social activities in college and the rationalist community was a was a big part of that identity as like a skeptical free thinking type of person who Mm -hmm. you know who could follow through an argument to its logical conclusions and and wasn't afraid to face uncomfortable truths and which was different from what you had experienced previously. Yeah. 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 I remember yeah. thinking, like, Catholics couldn't be smart. That, that, was, that was sort of my mm-hmm. unconscious assumption of my experience. Um, yeah. I, didn't go, I went to a public school. So, mm-hmm. I mean, you might, you might have had truly intellectual Catholic teachers at your mm-hmm. high school. A couple, yeah. Yeah. That would have been like, nice. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I was very lucky. Like, senior year, I took a class in apologetics, and we read... We were reading Plato. We read the Allegory of the Cave, mm. and and we read some of Aquinas's Five Ways of, of Proving the Existence of God. And what so was I, your what, were you, what was your reaction to reading that? I felt like it was mostly sophistry. Mm. Like I like everything has to have a cause. I mean. Sure, that that's intuitively plausible, mm-hmm. but when we're talking about the origin of the cosmos, maybe our intuitions about what is necessary don't have any purchase. Yeah, and and I mean, I didn't have any any real original takes on on why uh-huh. atheism is better than believing in God, but but yeah, I didn't even mention. YouTube atheism. Those, <laughs> I mean, that was a huge part of my my life, my intellectual development. And YouTube is still my primary source of, of media. Like, it's where I get my news about the world and stuff. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I was really kind of adrift in college. And atheism was one of the more stable parts of my identity. You talk about atheism is how a lot of people talk about religion. Yeah, yeah. And it really was. And I wouldn't have admitted this at the time, but it it took the place of religion in my mind in a lot of ways. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I was like a hardcore atheist i was really into you know challenging people to debates and <laughs> would you <I> mean, <laughs> would you like go around campus would you like would you like approach like christians and be like debate me yeah I, <laughs> yeah like i mean we did the the tabling where we had our, our atheist signs and stuff and christians would come up and talk to us and then when i had free time i would you know, there would be street preachers sometimes who would come onto campus. Oh yeah, those to, guys are asking for yeah, it. Their messages, and you know, if I saw if I saw a Christian group with with their own table on campus, because there were so many of them. 
And this is this is its own. Yes. That's kind of, I'm kind of surprised. Yeah, it's it's funny. There was no enthusiasm in the atheist club. <laughs> I think because a lot of people just took it for granted that man, there's no God. Religion is not a part of of a sensible person's life, and that was that was just how everybody got along. Mm-hmm. But in in a place where more people were religious, it would have been much more of an identity. Right. So. I mean, I'm I'm just kind of putting this together now that I was so attracted to atheism as an identity because I I went to Catholic school, you know, preschool up through 12th grade. Yeah. And it was it was so built into the environment where I grew up that that it, it felt like much more of a real identity mm-hmm. being able to say, you know, I I reject these these traditions that I grew up with and I want to be my own individual. It's a natural and healthy part of development. To yeah. Make, to claim something for yourself. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Mm. Would you say that atheism functions like a religion? In in the context mm-hmm. that you were participating in? Yes. Because it almost seems like you're like when you debate people, you're looking for answers. Yeah. Um, almost in a way like, like a Christian might look for answers. Uh there, I mean, I, 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 with the new atheism movement, new atheism movement, especially like the YouTube atheists you're watching, mm-hmm. like there's like like let's not pretend like there's not a canon of like sacred texts that Labor and reads, like like Dawkins and Hitchens and those guys. Mm-hmm. They almost function like a Matthew, Mark, and 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 Paul <laughs> in a way. Yeah. Um, I guess I guess um you you're saying yeah. yes and no. So in what ways yes and what ways no? I think yes in in the way that it's kind of the foundation for an identity, but. Atheism is a big tent mm-hmm. in a way that a religion cannot be because there's so much that goes along with being Catholic or as atheists come in in all different kinds. You just mm-hmm. have to not believe in a god. <laughs> so yeah. one, one thing that I got to sort of witness in real time was the the great schism of the atheist community oh. between the social justice warriors and the the anti SJWs. <laughs> the great schism. Um, yeah. And you say it's not like a religion. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. So the the way that in my mind it feels not like a religion is it was it I was very concerned with being on the right side of all these philosophical debates that questions like like free will, mm-hmm. determinism versus compatibilism, and being an atheist didn't feel satisfying intellectually Mm. it felt like it felt like i still had to answer all these other questions Mm. in order to 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 believe the right way these ethical questions about about free will and and all this yeah you 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 give me too much credit to call them ethical questions oh okay it it was just like an autistic fixation on what is the right side of this 
philosophical debate. Uh-huh. And I don't know. I, I was really concerned with, well, if it's so important, if it's so important to be on the right side of the religion versus atheism debate that, that I'm willing to turn my back on all these traditions that I was raised with and the, the community that, that nurtured me until I was an adult... And if, you know, if it was worth making such big changes in my life just for the sake of, of being on the right side of this philosophical debate, then I guess that, that meant I had to be, I had to be right about everything. Any, any philosophical issue I came across, I had to find the right side of the controversy and know why that side was superior. Mm. <laughs> and and it's like okay I feel like this is a problem with atheism at least this was a personal psychological problem for me as an atheist is it left me all alone trying to make sense of the whole world with, with just my own resources to depend on hmm and sounds overwhelming yes okay okay setting aside my own story i think there's something wrong with our approach to religion in the modern world where it's very much about like it's a choice that i have to make from a range of options in a way that just didn't used to be the case. Hmm. Like, it, there, there's a kind of lost innocence that knowing about all the other religious traditions and that they're all... I mean, a lot of them are just there and they would want us to, to join their tradition. Mm-hmm. You know, because they're all trying to win converts. Mm. And, I don't know, there's a, there's a kind of marketplace dynamic that makes me very grateful that I was born Catholic. <laughs> that I have a sort of default way of being religious. That, yeah. that I know because I grew up with it. And I don't have to, so to speak, shop around for... Mm-hmm. For a faith that feels right, you don't have to do this like this autistic type comparative analysis between <laughs> between Islam and Catholicism to determine which one is truly right. Yeah, you're not you're not you don't feel pressure to do that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Why not? And that's a good question. <laughs> well, I know what you I, mean. Mm-hmm. I, I think you're saying something very interesting about uh, this sort of a marketplace of religions that that yeah. defines the modern condition. Yeah. Um, but maybe that's not. Oh, well, maybe it's, it's something to do with the point of religion. You, you, you started this, uh, this comment by saying, we, we, we think of religion wrong today um, mm-hmm. by, by looking at us, what one must be better than another, which does, maybe that's not re- what religion is about. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's not about defining what is the truest, truest, truest. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's some, something else of value to religion. Yeah. Um, yeah, because it, it, it has to mean more than, you know, my parents 
are Dallas Cowboys fans, and so <laughs> I cheer for the Dallas Cowboys. It must. Yeah, if, if the claim is as serious as God, then yeah, mm-hmm. you would have to say that this does matter. Mm-hmm. The, 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 the differences do matter on some level. Yeah. Um, on the other hand, I guess um, what I know, what, what kind of gave me ease about this, where, um, when, my, uh, when I was a teenager, I didn't drift towards atheism, I drifted towards other religions. Mm-hmm. God, God was always present for me, mm-hmm. but I, 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 just, I wasn't sure if he had become man, and mm-hmm. I, I wasn't sure about Jesus. Right. Uh, so I, I, um, I drifted towards Buddhism mm-hmm. initially. Because yeah. I was interested in Kerouac and the Beats, uh-huh. and uh, I thought, like many white boys, I thought Buddhism was somehow more enlightened and gentle. Uh huh. Um, you listened to Alan Watts. I listened to Alan Watts exactly. Yes. I read Alan Ginsberg. Uh, nice. Yeah, and there's something to this sort of detachment from life. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I found with Buddhism was, for one thing, I simply couldn't practice it. I, I, I was not disciplined enough. It, it yeah. asked too much of me. Mm. Um, <laughs> on the other hand, it was like. Um, the, the, the main tenet of Buddhism is that life is suffering and you must, you must acclimate yourself to this. Yeah. Um, you must not get too attached. You must always expect suffering. Mm-hmm. This, this is the only constant in life. Mm-hmm. And at some point I realized I don't think that is vastly different from what Catholicism claims. Uh-huh. Um, when I see Christ on the cross at our church, mm-hmm. I see suffering. Right. But what Catholicism offers... So on one hand, it's like there, there are some, certain fundamental truths that I do think you see across religions. Mm-hmm. One of them is, is the reality of suffering. Uh-huh. What Catholicism uh-huh. offers that Buddhism doesn't mm-hmm. is a solution to suffering. Mm-hmm. It's that God suffered for us so we don't have to do it for, so we don't have to do it for eternity. Right. Um, or, right. or when we suffer in this life, mm-hmm. we can look at the cross and be assured that this suffering has a purpose. Mm-hmm. He suffered so we know that mm-hmm. there's a goodness to suffering. There's yeah. a vir- it, Christianity makes suffering suffering into a virtue. Right. Uh, Nietzsche right. critiques this. He yeah. says it's negative. It's the slave morality. Uh-huh. I think it's a good thing. Uh-huh. Um, uh huh. Yeah. But, okay, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So Buddhism you, does not offer that. It just it's the suffering is a factor. What about, you can do about it? Oh, what about the eightfold path? Um, I mean, just being devil's advocate for sure. The eightfold path. I mean, it's so rare. Catholicism Catholicism claims everyone goes to heaven. Buddhism claims mm-hmm. a select few achieve nirvana. So yeah. to me, I was like, oh man, that, what is, I, I can't do it. Mm-hmm. It, was, it, was, it was incredibly discouraging. Mm. Um, yeah. And, and so you, I feel like you're picking up on a kind of Gnostic element in Buddhism that, that salvation, whatever it means for a Buddhist is not for the masses. It's for, it's for the adepts who can, mm-hmm, who can mm-hmm. take the time to really prepare their minds and yes. Yes, and I, I, yeah, and I, I wonder if it's if it's not coincidental that Buddhism does not seem interested in growing converts like Islam or Christianity does. Mm. Do uh, uh, they? They don't seem to be growing into the West these in in in, a, in an evangelical way. It's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've yeah. talked to monks, Buddhist monks before, and like they're mm. not they go to colleges, but not to mm. proselytize because they they know so few people can do it. Yeah, it's not really about that. Yeah, I I mean that's that's a really interesting observation. Because I think of Buddhism as, as one of the religions that's been most successful at mm. spreading and at winning over new converts. But, I, I mean, there, there are, Buddhism has spread into the West, like, a mm. lot. Mm-hmm. But it's not, there's not this idea that you need to be a Buddhist in order to be saved. It doesn't have the same sort of yeah. 
motivation mm-hmm. as as Christianity or Islam, but but it does spread. Buddhism does spread in a really effective way. Yeah, yeah, that's and, a good point. Yeah, and and I mean, I I think that's thought provoking, and I think it suggests that that the church probably has a lot to learn from Buddhism hmm. in the same way that that it learned a lot from Greek philosophy. Yeah. Hmm. And scholars like like Richard Rohr like yeah, I think he's kind of trying to synthesize Catholicism and Buddhism. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. He's like he's non-duality. into meditation, yeah, non duality, exactly non duality. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. Um, I, identifying yeah. God in all things, mm-hmm. um, like how how a Buddhist won't kill a fly. Ah, oh, right. You know, it's right. like if you if you truly believe the Holy Spirit is present in all things alive, why would mm-hmm. you kill anything? Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Mm-hmm. But oh yeah, so okay, so where okay, where were we? Um, so yeah, you I were went interested in Buddhism. I was yeah. interested in Buddhism, yeah. Um, but you f- you felt really discouraged because you didn't think you could you could get to the level of practice. Mm-hmm. It, and it was it, it, it was like even if I did for what mm. to not so achieve nirvana to not achieve enlightenment, yeah, yeah, in my next life, um, uh-huh. which like I wouldn't even know. The other thing that bothered me about reincarnation is I wouldn't even. It, there's a contradiction to it because it's uh-huh. like. You live next life, but you don't even realize that it's your next life. Right. It's not. So how can you say it's, it's no just being dead? <laughs> exactly. There's no difference. So it's like, I kind of rejected that idea. Um, I think with good reason. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Um, nothing against Buddhists. I think they, like, like you said, I think they offer the world something very valuable. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and like there's there's a common ground between Catholicism and Buddhism, and to me that yeah, is the reality sure. of suffering. Yeah. In this life. Yeah. Um, but as I said, what I, what I came to realize was that, okay, there are certain, there are certain ideas that seem to be universal across religions. Mm-hmm. This is good. This is where we need to start when we come to evaluating the truth. Mm-hmm. What, what is valuable um, about religions generally? Um, I came back to Catholicism partly because it took the problem and it offers a solution. Mm-hmm. And I appreciated that. A solution oh. that I felt I could access. Ah, yeah. Some people might, might criticize that for being easy, mm-hmm. but um, I don't. I don't know why should it, why should it be difficult? If 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 God is the thing from which all things proceed, why should why should it be more difficult for one person than another? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that's a great point. Mm. That we really are all equal before God, not not in like our talents or our interests, but just in as it were our closeness to God, the ease. Mm-hmm with which we could could turn and and know him and have a relationship with him like he's that close to all of us even if we don't know it yeah i i mean i, I take that as a matter of faith mm-hmm. um but, so interesting yeah but mm-hmm. so i'm curious what was it about catholicism that felt more accessible than than buddhism than buddhism um i think of uh so when i think of the sort of um uh, the, the Buddhist Buddhist monks I, I, I talked to them when I was at college and uh-huh. I, I say I saw them as exceptional people mm-hmm. like 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 people um, I mean just to give up everything and to uh, travel the world and to live in a monastery uh, and to meditate and to focus yourself I admire mm-hmm. that yeah um, for sure but I uh, but it's it's almost inherently exclusive because I don't think mm-hmm. everybody can do that mm-hmm. um, yeah but I think Catholicism, I think about the Sermon on the Mount. 
mm-hmm. which is Christ talking to the masses. Mm-hmm. It's for yeah. everybody. It's for the yeah. lowest of the low. Right. And as you said earlier in the conversation, um, or maybe even before we started recording, you said, uh, you know, Christ is for the poor, the poorest among you. Mm-hmm. And I still feel like, I still feel like um, Christianity, not Christianity, Christ himself, like outside of the religion, mm-hmm. Christ himself still comes to the lowest of the low. Oh, because to me, from what I've observed, the people who tend to like find him and feel him the most are people at their lowest points in their life. Mm-hmm. Often people in prison. Mm, um, yeah. uh, a, lot, a, lot, a lot of, uh, I mean, Islam is also something that a lot of, a lot of people come to in prison. Oh, but sure. uh, my, my point is God comes to people in prison. Yes. And yeah. to me, that, that tracks along what we read in the Gospels. Like, mm-hmm. Christ is always min- a minister to the poor. He's always ministered to the poor mm-hmm. and to the wretched and to, and to the down and out. Yeah. And I think he continues to do it. Yeah. Because to me, like, no one matches the faith of, like, a, like a prisoner who has found Jesus. Like, mm-hmm. I really believe that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that ethos, to me, is unique mm-hmm. among religions. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Mm. That it's not, it's not about skill or... I don't know. It's it's not about blessed being, are the meek. Yeah, yeah. That it's it's about dependence. Just yes. being willing to ask God for what you need, recognizing that you can't do it on your own strength. Yes, yes. That helped me like psychologically so much. Like when I accepted mm-hmm. that, because mm-hmm. um, and, and I mean that yeah. that's still a big struggle for me. Mm. Well, I still I, feel like yeah, I'm the yeah. master of my life. <laughs> I want to believe that. Uh, yeah. Well, there's a point where I wanted to believe that. Um, and well, but I, I'm I'm so extremely hard on myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm my own biggest bully. I always have been. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I gave myself an ulcer in college with how stressed out I made myself. I was 22 years old with an ulcer. Are you kidding That's me? It's rough. Yeah. Yeah, because because I did truly believe that I could bend my life to my will. Uh, my, my mantra before before I came out of Catholicism used to be uh, a quote from Machiavelli. Uh huh. And Machiavelli says a. Uh, Fortune is a woman who needs to be beaten. Oh man! So you can bend your <laughs> bend your life to your will. Uh-huh. Uh huh. But when you fail at that, it feels bad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so I was so hard on myself. And then when I when I when I came back to Catholicism, mm-hmm. um, and I went to confession, I realized failure is inevitable, mm-hmm. and that's yeah. okay. Right. Know that in advance. That doesn't right. mean don't try. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean you're exonerated from your sins. No. Uh huh. That means you must realize in advance that you will fail. And right. this is not up to you completely. Right. And it's okay that you fail. And there's virtue in failing. Yeah. There's virtue in the suffering of that. Yeah. Yeah. And failure is not a reason to give up hope. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And to me, that's just, that's just like observing human life. Like that's obvious. Of mm-hmm. course we fail. Yeah. Um, we fail on a personal level. We fail on social levels, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that's something that I didn't, experience enough as a kid mm. failure yeah um, yeah i know what you and, mean and and in some ways maybe the the disillusionment from like being being very gifted as a kid and everything came so easily to me to having to struggle more um i don't know if if that contributed to my loss of faith but I don't know. It just intuitively it feels like it feels like I had a a just a kind of deep sense of entitlement 
that things should go my way all the time. Mm-hmm. And when things didn't go my way as effortlessly as they used to, <laughs> mm-hmm. I started wondering if maybe if maybe all this God stuff was just talk. I see. <laughs> I see. Because like, like a child's understanding of God is that he provides. Yeah. And that if anything goes wrong, then there must not be a God. Yeah. Yeah. And, and when I was kind of struggling with my own doubts, I know that I, I would take reassurance from, from stuff like uh, I would find some little thing that, that I lost a year ago that I was looking for. I'd be like, okay, this, this is how I know that, that God is real and he's looking out for me. But I wonder if that, if that was actually unhealthy or unwise because, because just getting in the frame of mind where my faith in God has any kind of dependence on the things that I want happening in the world, I'm setting myself up for, for disappointment and for the feeling like, well, if I, if I didn't get what I want this time, then uh, maybe God isn't real after all. <laughs> right, 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 right. So yeah, I can, I can see how that worldview that you possessed was incompatible with, with Christianity mm-hmm. at a point. Mm-hmm. But how did you, so t- if you could, take me on the journey of this, of, this, uh, of, uh, of your relationship with uh, your entitlement, <laughs> as you call it. Mm-hmm. Well. How did you let go of that, you know? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I know I was a lot... I was a lot more devastated than, than I should have been that I was not valedictorian in high school. Were you Sally? <laughs> Were you the second one? No. Okay. No. I was, like, in the bottom 50%. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> But sure, um, sure. <laughs> I mean that 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 was that was definitely something where I felt like like I, I should be the best and mm-hmm. there's something wrong if I'm not the best. Yes, that makes sense. And like I, I used to be like, oh I should like I should just be as handsome as Brad Pitt. Well like that's like uh-huh. like I could be that. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> and now it's like, no, I'm not that, and that's fine. Like, right. those guys yeah. are in Hollywood because that's their gift. Right. <laughs> but they yeah. used to bother me that I wasn't. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's... That's a hard lesson to learn. Yeah. That... That... that I don't know. My experiences, my ambitions are... Infinitely greater than... Than what I am capable of. Mm-hmm. And... That it, that's just how my mind is organized. That I'm always thinking... How could I do better? How could I improve on, on what I've done? Yeah. And, and I mean, it's, it's a, it's, it's a real Faustian condition. Mm. Like there's, there's, there's a deep restlessness that things need to be solved and, and figured out and mastered. I don't know. I feel the same way. I've always had a, uh, I've always harbored uh, ambitions for greatness and to really move society and to uh, mm-hmm. be one of these great men, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I realized as I go through my 20s... There was ever a time right. when society needed great men. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. And I, and I, I believe that. And I, I, I'm, some, and I, still try, I still spend a lot of my time thinking about how I could become that. Mm-hmm. Um, but as I go through my 20s, I, I too realize my limitations. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope I can overcome some of them. You know. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's it is Faustian because it's mm-hmm. like, I mean, you think about the people who have really kind of um, made history their bitch, mm-hmm. Stalin, mm-hmm. Hitler. <laughs> like, yeah. It's, it's kind of you. I don't know if you want to go there, um, but I don't I mean, know. It's scary. Frankly, yeah. Are those people not? history's bitch at this point Ooh, i like that that's a good point there are go-to examples of bad historical figures it's like yeah they you know they they did their damage but Mm -hmm. they ended up on the losing side pretty definitively yeah that's a good point that's a good point Uh, but i mean (laughs) you know they did a lot of damage what are your ambitions it's a good question i i mean i want to be a great philosopher yeah i think I you like, could be that i don't think that's out of the realm okay. of possibility and okay here's here's one big reservation that i have about academic philosophy mm-hmm. is i feel like it's very closed off from the world yes oh yeah um and and yeah the like the philosophy classes i've taken they've been really interesting and i know that i could do interesting work in in fields like philosophy of mind, but I don't want to be the kind of person who is just read by other philosophers. Yes. So you 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 actually want to be read by people. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you want to make a philosophy of life. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, philosophy in the academy is at this point is so. Gosh, it's even more relevant than English in history. <laughs> it's. Yeah. Which is crazy because it used to be like 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 we were talking about earlier. Philosophy used to be something everybody could think about and talk about. It was something mm-hmm. for people to live by. Right. Now right. it has shrunk to a dilettante's hobby. Mm-hmm. It seems to me, mm-hmm. just writing articles between departments. Yeah. Um. But we need a rejuvenation of philosophy. Like I, yeah. I think philosophy could matter to people if it got out of that funk. Yeah, absolutely. And and I feel like there's there's a split between philosophy as a body of knowledge and philosophy as advice for life. Because yes. it's, I mean, it's, it's still as true as ever that everyone has their own philosophy yeah. in the sense that everyone has principles that inform the decisions they make. And I mean, I think philosophy at its best is the art of, of making better decisions, of organizing mm-hmm. your life in a way that makes you a better person. Yes. And philosophy these days, it seems like there's a lot of concern with with being on the right side of, of one debate or another. Uh-huh. It's like, like the rationalist club, like, like that kind of like approach. Like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there used to be the sense that everything was subordinate to philosophy. <laughs> yes, right. Philosophy was like the the discipline of disciplines. Yeah. And, you know, all of our sciences... Mm-hmm. Philosophy was the the context that made sense of, of all of our other bodies of knowledge. 
knowledge. Yes. And could put them together into a unified worldview. It dared to ask why. Yeah. Whereas I don't, I don't know if modern science asks that in mm-hmm. the same way. I'm not a scientist, but science, I think, does modern science does great at answering what, how. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it does great at answering why. Yeah. Why? Um, why did? Why does the universe work this way? Mm-hmm. Why should it? Yeah. Why? Why do we make our decisions this way? It it, it can tell you the what and the how, mm-hmm. but I, I I still think philosophy is the best prepared to answer why. Yeah, for sure. I think philosophy is the only discipline that thinks big enough. Mm-hmm. That the sciences have all gotten so specialized. Yes. It's mm-hmm. hard for for the different branches of science to talk to each other, and. And that's where I think philosophy can really shine is the, you know, all these different fields have their own vocabularies and it's not always clear how these bodies of knowledge are compatible with each other. Yeah. But. What's the unifying thing? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the the world, there's one world and it all hangs together somehow. (laughs) <laughs> so this much is true yeah <laughs> so the the sciences should be able to talk to each other <laughs> and i think i think it should be the job of philosophy to be able to to translate between these different fields yeah and i like that the most okay so what would you what kind of what would you want to write if you write like you're gonna want to write a book because is that how, is that the mode that you see through which you see yourself becoming a great philosopher? It's a good question. I, yeah, I, I would hope that I could have a great impact by doing podcasts and yeah. and audio stuff. It's the meaning of the future. Uh-huh. Uh, it's the meaning of the present. <laughs> yeah, we're yeah. living in the future. <laughs> yeah, I think so. But yeah, I, I could see myself writing a book at some point Mm -hmm. but I would need to have I think I would need to have a lot more big picture sense of of what I want to say yeah because right now I feel like I have a lot of I have a lot of ideas that strike me as interesting and worth exploring Mm -hmm. but I don't have a a sense of all the different things that I find interesting how do they relate to each other? What is yeah. the the master key that <laughs> you know, like what's the pattern I'm picking up on that all the things I like thinking about and learning about have in common that draws me to them that I'm just not seeing, you know? That's something where where a few years of graduate school might help you actually. Yeah, I I have no doubt. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I really sabotage myself in terms of productivity and just general thinking about what would be a fruitful path for me to develop my ideas mm-hmm. because because when I when I think about going back to school I am lazy and I say that sounds like a lot of work and I kind of know what I am interested in and if I really want to develop my ideas and and share them with the world I have the tools to do that right now I can Mm -hmm. just 
turn on a microphone and, and start talking and broadcast it to the internet, but, but I never do. I'm not disciplined enough in an autonomous way. I can't, I can't get up and work on my own projects every single day. Mm-hmm. And and I, I really feel like I would benefit from the discipline of an academic program. It it works. Yeah, <laughs> it, I can tell you it works. Mm-hmm. I was skeptical. I was not disciplined at all when I came here. Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> After I mean, when I started graduate school, I was still I still wanted to live like an undergrad. I still mm-hmm. wanted to stay out late partying. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I still had all kinds of bad habits. Uh huh. I was still you know just not. That's it together. Yeah. It, it has, like, after four years of it, mm-hmm. I've, I've pretty much been knocked into shape. Well, cool. So, oh, it, yeah, yeah, it can't give you that. Mm-hmm. That's, I'm, I'm really glad to hear that. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's just part of growing up, but, mm-hmm. but it, 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 it's like a sink or swim. It's like, mm-hmm. if you want to stay in it, you're going you're gonna to shape up. Yeah. Yeah. And it forces you to read. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. if, like, for me, it's like, like, similar to you, I wanted, like, I wanted to read big ideas. I wanted to develop something to say. Mm-hmm. I wanted to read these serious texts. Yeah. Uh, but I also knew that, like, for whatever reason, <laughs> I, uh, I I would struggle to do it on my own, mm-hmm. on my own time. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't make time to do it. Mm-hmm. I would I would choose kind of pleasure. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to be in a place that forced me to do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that's probably yeah. why I went to graduate school. Yeah. And, yeah. and I mean, it seems like it's been working out for you. It's gone well so far. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For what whatever happens next, it's been it's been successful. Within its own context. Oh, cool. Yeah. And, and you said... You said... You feel like if you could do it over again, you might not study literature? I wouldn't, no. That you might do <laughs> political science? Exactly. I would, I would say political science. Because what I didn't have when I went to grad school, I didn't have a question that, that uh, animated me. I didn't have a research question that I burned to find out. Mm-hmm. I'm in the grad school because I, I didn't think, I didn't know what else to do. Mm-hmm. And I thought I would just figure it out as I went along. Right. And I have, mm-hmm. I mean, my, like my, my dissertation topic, I think is decent, mm-hmm. but, um, the thing that I really want to know <laughs> that I don't, that no one has answered for me sufficiently mm-hmm. is, um, I'm from the Midwest mm-hmm. and the Midwest, Midwestern United States has gone through several ideological shifts uh-huh. over the past. 100, 125 years. Like, so, like mm-hmm. from conservative to left-wing to mm-hmm. populistic. Mm-hmm. And I want to know why has, what causes ideolo- ideological shifts mm-hmm. in the Midwestern United States? Uh-huh. How do you go from FDR to Trump? Right. How do you go from populism of, the populism of William Jennings Bryan, mm-hmm. the, uh, the Kansas, the Kansas uh, lawyer and politician, to um, Ronald Reagan? Right. What yeah. is dri- what what is driving these like these uh realignments among mm-hmm. voters in the part of the country I'm from? Yeah. So I think it's an important question and it's one that I want to know. Yeah, absolutely. And I think political science is the is the, is the department where that happens. Mm-hmm. Where I'm studying when I'm studying literature is rhetoric. Mm-hmm. You know, how's the how has the rhetoric shifted uh-huh. among like the printed literature? Uh, which is interesting. Yeah. yeah, I bet. But sometimes it can feel auxiliary to what my main question is. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. But then you didn't really know the the question you were trying to answer. I didn't. I was I was concerned with getting myself a secure situation. I I was very paranoid about getting myself a job mm-hmm. that provided my for my needs, mm-hmm. but I but didn't feel like it was destroying my soul. 
Mm, <laughs> so yeah. that, that's why I did this. Yeah. Because I feel like most jobs would destroy my soul. Yeah, no, totally. And and that's one way that I was I was lucky and unlucky. Coming out of college, I had this job at, at a cinnamon roll shop. <laughs> Cineholic. You were a and baker? Yes. <laughs> I, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Mm-hmm. And really, it... I mean, it felt a lot more meaningful than than most of the work that I was doing in college. Mm. And and so when I got out of college, I was I was just like finally, you know, I can stop having to to deal with all this academic bullshit uh-huh. and I can I can make cinnamon rolls and get paid <laughs> and make people stay. Yeah, and and then just, you know, I'd have all this free time to to read and fuck around on the internet Mm -hmm. and I started blogging which ultimately didn't go anywhere but when I got out of college I was really not thinking about the future Mm -hmm. I I knew I had this job and I liked it and my financial situation was was good for at least a while and so I just kind of coasted. Hmm. But, but like in retrospect, you know, I, I haven't been on a date since the year 2019. That's the before time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it was right before I left California for, for job training. Wow. You've like lived yeah. a life and a half since then. Yeah, and... That 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 was its own little trauma, I think, <laughs> because because I'm very slow to get attached. Um, I I lost most of my friends after college, mm-hmm. and and it took some time to kind of rebuild my social life. So, and there were there were people I would hang out with. Um, I was still going to meetups with the rationalists every <laughs> week. And, and, and there was this girl I was dating. Mm-hmm. And it really sucked having to leave all of that behind for this new job. And, and I think that made me slower to get out of my shell and, and want to find communities when, when I came to St. Louis. Mm. But... I have just been been less outgoing. How long did you live since here? The pandemic. Yeah. How long How long were you here before you started coming to church? Before I started coming to church. Yeah. How long were you in St. Louis? Hmm. I want to say about nine, eight or nine months. Oh wow! So you you had because, been here for a little bit. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I came here in October of twenty nineteen, and I didn't go to church. I guess because. Nobody else in my life went to church. Mm-hmm. What got I, you here? Uh, to church. Lo- loneliness. Yeah. Yeah. I felt like I I didn't know anybody except the, the people that I lived and worked with. Mm-hmm. And this was, you know, summer of 2020. I was going stir crazy from being yeah. locked up for a few months. And, and I was just feeling like I need more community in my life. Wow. Um, wow. So, I mean, thank God that you broke up with this girl and moved out here. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm, 
but like I I was going to church back in uh, in Oakland. Mm, right, right. And yeah. and that was its own. Uh, I did not like having to to say goodbye to everyone. Yeah, that's tough. Uh, yeah. And and that has made me, I think, more more reluctant to get attached to people when I moved here. But uh, I hope I've mostly gotten over that. But I really mm-hmm. don't know. Like, I always just... I went to school, and I had to go to school, so I had to be around people every day. <laughs> and I never had to make an effort to be a part of a community. Right, so, right, right. And then when, when you go out on your own, mm-hmm. that, the community will not come to you. Yeah. Um, I wonder how young people who don't go to church, like, what do they do for community? Mm-hmm. I guess they, they go have to school. T- they have school or they go on TikTok. Yeah, and <laughs> they, know, they play video games. They play video games, right? Like, it's all about work, mm-hmm. which just seems to me to be not, not the fullest expression of a community. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't think anything has really placed religion when it comes to community builder. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, for me, it was like I started going back to church in college for mm-hmm. like, and what got me there was a dumb thing. Uh huh. But there, there's something profound beneath the dumb thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, uh, I, I was really close to one of my professors, uh-huh. my big mentor in college, the reason why I'm in grad school. Nice. And uh, I, I would have cat sit for him when he would go oh, on vacation nice. in the summertime. It got me through college mm-hmm. uh, for the extra money. Mm-hmm. And so one summer, one summer day, I, uh, I was cat sitting for him. Uh-huh. And all he, the one rule was don't leave the screen door open onto the patio because the cat will, will run away. Oh, no. And easy enough, uh-huh. uh, but I had a girl over, uh-huh. and she slept over, and in the morning, I was making breakfast, and she, like, opened up the screen door uh-huh. to feel the <laughs> summer breeze. She was uh-huh. like, ugh. Oh. She, like, like, stuck her chest out and all this. And uh, I was looking at her, but what I didn't see was the cat creeping behind her. Oh, and there was a stray cat on the other side of the door on the outside, and these uh-huh. two cats were enemies. Oh, no. And so the indoor cat, that my professor's cat, saw his enemy, uh-huh. and he, like, darted out out the, out the door uh-huh. and just started fighting this other cat. This other cat was outdoor, stray, hardcore. Mm-hmm. And they tumble down the hill that my professor lived on and into the woods. Mm-hmm. My professor lived on the edge of a state park. What? Woods, <laughs> huge body of water, trails. <laughs> that sounds awesome. Awesome, but I was like, I've never seen this cat again. Oh yeah, because yeah. it just tumbled into a state park. Yeah, with a nut, with a cat that will probably kill it. Mm-hmm. And so. so I freaked out because my, my relationship with this professor meant everything to me. Uh huh. Um, I would have done anything to please him, mm-hmm. and I had one job, and uh-huh. I had messed that. <laughs> so I like sent the girl. I called the girl a taxi, uh-huh. and he's like, "Get out of here! I can't uh-huh. even look at you." Um and. So hours just, just go out and look for the cat briefly it was gone oh, i went uh-huh. into the woods but no sign of it uh-huh. so i just i i was waited hours mm-hmm. time was passing eventually the sun started going down Ooh. he was out for like eight hours mm-hmm. and for some reason in my heart i was like if he's not back by nighttime i don't think he'll ever come back mm-hmm. uh and so i got on my knees uh-huh. and i had not been back to church since high school at this point mm-hmm. if not earlier um and I said, God, if you bring this cat back to me, 
I'll come over to your house. Uh-huh. They made a company. <laughs> and lo and behold, like an hour maybe after that prayer, I uh-huh. see the cat peek its head out from underneath the grill on the porch. Wow. And so I lure the cat in with some uh-huh. tuna. Uh-huh. And I swear to God that cat laughed at me. It was like, <laughs> it was eating its tuna and it went, ah, ah, ah. It went like, it made a very strange noise. <laughs> It was uh, probably God laughing. It might, yeah. <laughs> yes. Like, oh, like, he got me. Yeah. And so I went to church the next Sunday. Wow. And that was, so that was, the dumb part was the cat. Uh-huh. Here's what is not dumb about it. Yeah. The deacon of that Catholic church in my college town uh-huh. was my Western philosophy professor. No way. And remember how I said earlier, I never thought that Catholics could be smart. Mm. Well, I really respected this philosophy professor. Oh. This was not the cat professor, a different one. Uh-huh. Uh, and I had him in class. But you had no school. idea he was Catholic. I had no idea he was Catholic, right. let alone a deacon. Wow, yeah. And so my mom was kind of blown. Uh-huh. And so like the next week I went to his office and I was like, you're Catholic? And he was like, yeah. I was like, can you tell me about that? And he talked to me about like his like philosophy and Catholicism. Wow. And how it made sense philosophically. That's amazing. And that turned everything around for me. Yeah. And I never, I never let go of it at that point. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's such a corny story. I know. But, but like, that's what makes it so great. <laughs> God has a sense of humor, man. Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, in my life, I've definitely been afraid to, to ask God for things like that. Like, when I'm really desperate and feel like I need something. Mm. And, and... I feel like it's it's a failure of trust mm. that at some level I am just afraid that that I am gonna gonna pray to God and nothing will happen and it will just feel like there might as well not be a God. Mm-hmm. And and okay, in retrospect I can't think of a particular situation where that was actually the case. <laughs> there was absolutely nothing. In my experience, yeah. something always manifests at some point that you could feasibly attribute to God. Mm-hmm. It's just not the way that you want it, mm-hmm. necessarily. What comes to mind are things like things like toothaches that went away (laughs) and I don't know just yeah stuff that feels like petty self-centered bullshit (laughs) so you prayed that you pray you mean you prayed that the toothache would go away and it did yes I I didn't get on my knees I didn't say (laughs) dear god (laughs) but I don't know this is something that I've always been uncomfortable with Mm -hmm. is asking God for things that I want. Are you afraid that you will be disappointed and that you might have to grapple with a doubt or do you like feel guilty about asking God for, to, to help you with something in a selfish way? I think it's a bit of both. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's definitely, I, a lot of the time, when I pray, I feel like I'm just kind of thinking about stuff to myself. Like, like, you know, there's, there's prayers that I can say. I can say the Lord's Prayer. I 
can mm-hmm. say the Hail Mary and, and all this memorized stuff. Yeah. And it's good for for getting me in the zone, you know, in a more contemplative mood. Yes, yes, yes. But a lot of the time it's like I don't know the difference mm-hmm. between bringing something to God and bringing it to the the front of my mind for me to worry about it. <laughs> yes. It's like yes. I'm not good at at letting God take care of things. Mhm. It's Mhm. I I I need to hold on to everything that that is on my mind. Yeah. Because it's like, I, I don't trust God to remember the things that I forget. Do you ever experience going, you go through your day and some person or something pops into your head mm-hmm. and you're like, oh, I, I, I should pray about them. Yeah. To me, the, I, I, I bring that up because to me that when I experience what you're experiencing, what you're experiencing, that's, that's part of what helps me keep my faith. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, this came to my mind for a reason and all mm-hmm. I can do about it at this moment is pray about it. So I'm going to trust that this is something I'm, su- for whatever reason, I'm supposed to pray about. Mm, um, yeah. That requires like a thoughtfulness preemptively. But I, I do find if I'm already in a complete, cont- contemplative mode, as you say, certain things will pop into my mind that didn't necessarily have to pop into my mind. Yeah. And who's the agent behind that? I don't know. Um, but I, ta- I, I take it that it's, if it's on my mind, it's something I should express <laughs> um, yeah and, and trust that there's a reason that that came to my head yeah like sometimes like a guy like who like a guy who i know from high school like, will be in distress and i will i will not have mm-hmm. thought about it for a long time and he'll pop into my head mm-hmm. or I'll, I'll encounter someone on reddit <laughs> even people mm-hmm. on the internet i pray for yeah. people like i encounter on reddit who are like really sad because there's a lot of those guys uh i'll encounter them in the morning it'll like bum me out <laughs> to like encounter these guys on reddit uh, but then like at the end of the day, I'm like, I, like they'll come back to my head like, oh man, that guy needs someone thinking about it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so that's, I don't know. I don't know if that, that, that's, I don't know if that's helpful whatsoever, but, uh, yeah. that, that's what I can uh, offer you. That, that is helpful. And I think I, I'm also not comfortable praying for other people. Mm. Um, and that, I, I don't know what that's about, but I think it's just a, a matter of not growing up with that as a as a practice. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I I mean, growing up, I I would say prayers like like a perfunctory, you know, please please bless my mom and dad and yes, my yeah. sisters and all my friends. Good on the list. Yeah, but at it's, some yeah. level, maybe I I don't I still have a hard time feeling like I have a hard time feeling like praying for someone does something it's like mm-hmm. it's polite to tell someone that you will pray for them yes <laughs> <laughs> and and i, that I, does I pray though. for people when i remember it i see but, i see mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but i am just not naturally inclined to think about other people Mm-hmm. in in that kind of way mm-hmm. and and i i think i'm just very self-centered um and that, that that's been an obstacle to my relationship with god in general sure 
Sure. Um, because I mean, at least in Catholicism, God is sort of, um, impersonal in a way. It's, it's, it's the sort of like the collective body of the church. Mm -hmm. Um, so uh, to me, almost, almost stepping outside of myself is where I find God. That doesn't mean that's where everybody finds God. Um, there's a thing Thomas Merton said mm-hmm. that when you, prayer is you realizing that you are a being made by God. Right. And then there's a double, that's brilliant because there's, it's a double entendre. Mm-hmm. Um, you are a being that was made by God. Uh-huh. And when you pray, you are, maybe realize this, but you are also actively being made by right. God in right. process. Yeah. And to me yeah. that I feel that in prayer for sure mm-hmm. that, um, prayer is dialectical mm-hmm. it's two ways yeah you're giving something to god but god is giving something back to you mm-hmm. you are constructing yourself out of prayer yeah and it, when you when you say like you can't tell if it's you just bringing things to your own head or if you're actually talking to god mm-hmm. i don't know if those are separate things mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like you are like 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 to me like when i pray to god i, I feel like i'm constructing my own kind of spiritual humanity uh-huh. Yeah, and, and I get that when I pray for other people, even strangers, it's like, oh, I am, mm-hmm. I'm sort of cultivating myself in a way mm-hmm. that I, I believe to be pleasing to God and that I believe to be um, spiritual and that I believe to be good. Mm-hmm. And so w- that's what being made by God means to me, mm-hmm. that I'm getting closer to him in these ways, in, right. in thinking about these things that I believe are inherently good to think about. Right. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, it's, yeah, it's transforming our hearts. Yes. Helping us. Helping us become more like God. I believe that. Mm-hmm. I believe that. I mean, prayer is so... Too many people over human history have prayed for me to think that there's nothing to it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I think that's a really good point. Mm. Um, but you're not alone in thinking these things. I definitely have yeah. <laughs> as well. But I guess I... I still feel like there's a gap in that, you know, if, if I don't know, if I don't know what I want to do with my life career wise, Mm -hmm. I can, I can bring that up in prayer and where I feel like I lose it is the discernment telling the difference between how do I know that any particular thing that comes up in my mind is from God? Mm-hmm. And, and especially when, when it's about, like, decisions that I have to make, I feel like I'm not in a position to, to tell the difference between what God is trying to tell me and my own wishful thinking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, it's hard. It makes me feel very lost. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Your own wishful yeah. thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah. This is doubt. You're experiencing doubt. Um, yeah. All part of the journey for me. Um, yeah. I guess what I am, um, where I'm at right now with that mm-hmm. is that I, uh, I see God in literally everything. Mm-hmm. all things mm-hmm. um because all things were made through him right. and so it's like every the most sorted the, the smallest bug to me is through is from him so it's like i just i just kind of trust that um my wishful thinking is is in in inextricable from his plan 
<laughs> um, so, and then for me, it's like you, I, I, I get, I catch glimpses of him in a way. Mm-hmm. It's like uh, like moments of bliss, <laughs> moments of zen, mm-hmm. and then you're walking in the desert. Okay, as this yeah. is your, you know, the Exodus. Yeah. You've been in the desert for forty years, <laughs> mm-hmm. and but then every now and then you'll get some mana, mm-hmm. and you yeah. see him, and you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, why is it this way? Map. I don't know, yeah. but uh, but it seems it seems to me that it is this way. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people say it's like, oh, well, we're we are we're on because for me the biggest doubt is um, not is not so much the personal thing, but more so the the fact that the world is infected with so much suffering. Mm-hmm. And that bothers me. I mean, that's why suffering for me is like kind of like the key term of this conversation for me. Mm-hmm. But um, like, like, why do animals have to die horrible deaths to each other, yeah. <laughs> getting eaten? Like, what yeah. God would allow this? But um, why is it this way? I don't know. Oh, some people, some people think that um, uh, going through life on Earth is a sort of spiritual test. It's a sort of spiritual boot camp mm-hmm. <laughs> before you enter the kingdom. Right. It's like you, yeah. like our job here is to undergo the thing that you're undergoing right now right and to like uh isn't there some phrase in the bible that it's like you know, we're tested like gold in a furnace this is exactly what i'm talking about nice. that's exactly what i'm thinking of. thank you that's life mm-hmm. <laughs> um or life is a pil- i also like to think of life is a pilgrimage yeah. and, and it's not a linear one <laughs> right. you're gonna get you're gonna get sidetracked on the way mm-hmm. um yeah. and it's long and but you keep going mm-hmm. <laughs> you know I, I'm just frustrated that I can't yeah. do everything perfectly the first time around, you know? Mm, right. <laughs> like like when I was in first grade. <laughs> got all the spelling words right. Right. <laughs> it was great. Right, exactly. Yeah, for sure. Because I was that kid, too. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and if, you're in, if you were like me, you probably threw a tantrum when you didn't get things right, and then you couldn't do yeah. the thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, none of us are perfect. <laughs> um, if we if we were perfect, we'd be on the cross at the altar, you know. Yeah. And if we were perfect, we wouldn't even need God. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And that would be that would probably wouldn't be a good state of affairs. It can't be that way. I just it probably just couldn't be that way. But um, what keeps you going back to church? It's a good question. And the community is definitely part of it. Mm-hmm. But. Also, I feel like I need it yeah. in order to be saved. Um, be, sa- um, be saved. Like, enter into the kingdom of heaven? Yeah, I think I need it in order to not become an irredeemable degenerate in this <laughs> life. Yes, yes. Yeah. Exactly, Yes. It's, yeah, the church does what it says in that way. Because I, it, without it, I would be, I would be lost. <laughs> I, I would, uh, you, you'd be a degenerate. That's funny. Um, without it, I think I would just. Um, well, to me, it's like I, I, I don't know how something can feel so fulfilling if there's, if I don't have some innate desire for it. Uh huh. It could be bullshit. That's how. Well, <laughs> I don't know. Um, People love bullshit. They do. I, I, but I don't love bullshit. Uh-huh. I have a pretty good bullshit detector, I yeah. think. No, uh, yeah, same. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I've, I've never been one to lose myself in a fantasy. Mm-hmm. So why would this be the one thing I lose myself in? I don't know. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I wonder if... I mean, 
I just got so lonely that God seemed plausible so that I would <laughs> yeah. go, go be around people. <laughs> I, I feel like that that's a level of cynicism against myself that, that makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> uh, well, I think God is in other people. Mm-hmm. So you need, yeah, you do need to be around other people. It's a, yeah. that's a, that's a human need. Yeah. And, and that's something that's hard for me to admit. Mm-hmm. Just, just cause I don't like people. <laughs> <laughs> some others, some of the people are just naturally extroverted. They're, they're always going to reach out. Mm-hmm. Uh, you and I are not necessarily that way. Yeah. Um, I, I've always it's always kind of taken me an extra effort. I I I was like I was I was the friend on the periphery of things. Mm-hmm. I was never like a core friend. Yeah, like, I was the guy who would come around once in a while, uh-huh. and I had good friends, but like I was never like like my friends in college lived together, mm-hmm. and I didn't live with them. So gotcha. I, so even yeah. I was always kind of on the outside. Right. Yeah. Um, and it's tough. Right. And like the past two years of pandemic has definitely exacerbated this. Mm-hmm. Like, pff, like mm-hmm. I don't I don't sometimes I don't know if it's me. Or if it's like, is everyone this lonely? Because <laughs> I sure feel question. lonely. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean it's. Yeah. It's been some of the loneliest times of my life. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would. I don't even see people at work. I mean, when when I was working from home, like. Yeah, you. You. I would say you're in an extremely isolated situation right now. Mm-hmm. And and I mean it. It took a toll on me. Mm-hmm. And. Like, in a way, I feel like I am addicted to solitude. Yeah. Because when I think about trying to get a job that would have me go and and interact with people every day... Yeah. I, I don't want to. There's this resistance. <laughs> An addiction is and, not healthy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so it's, and, it's something you do even though you don't want to do it, but you kind of feel like you have to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like I'm I'm more attached to to the idea of being alone. That that's that's what a good day is, is a day when I don't have to see other people. <laughs> um well at that point you might as well just be a monk. Yeah. Here here here's like out in the desert. Exactly. <laughs> so uh, when I say like how could I how could something that is not real feel as good as religion does? Mm-hmm. Uh what works so we so let's go let's let's circle back to the original impetus for this conversation mm-hmm. how we both came went from atheist to catholic yes we've lived both lives yes and i can tell you definitively mm-hmm. which one i prefer oh yeah <laughs> and that is catholicism being catholic is much better than being an atheist on the level of living a life and to yeah. me that is almost proof of practice mm. it's like because to me the answer of proving or disproving god is irrelevant. Mm-hmm. To me, it makes much more sense to be an agnostic than to be an atheist. Mm-hmm. Because to be an atheist, you are making a confession of faith in the negative sense. You yes. are definitely saying there's nothing, yes. which cannot be proven. Yeah. Well, when I was an atheist, I would say, if you're an agnostic and you don't go to church and you don't pray and you don't have any kind of relationship with God, you are functionally an atheist. Functionally. So just call yourself one. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I see what you mean. But the, I guess you can counter that saying... But you would be, if evidence presented itself to you, you would be open to reconsidering. Right, right. That's a good point. Yeah. But, yeah, okay, okay. Um, 
but yeah, there's there's a commitment that a lot of atheists have. There's a commitment that to me is almost religious in mm-hmm. in, 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 in in practice because mm-hmm. it requires yeah. it requires faith. Yeah, it requires the faith in the negative. Yeah. <laughs> but there's yeah. a faith that there's nothing. Mm-hmm. You're you're hedging your bets. Yeah, you know, like if you get to the point where it's like oh, I might as well just be an atheist. Then you're committing yourself to something. Right, yeah. Um, in a way, it's like, look, do I know for sure there's a God? No. Uh-huh. But, I'm, but like, from what, like, my life experience and my reading uh-huh. um, has told me if I'm going to place a bet, it's going to be for God. Right, right. And I'm going to live that way. Mm-hmm. And God, it works. Like, like mm-hmm. I'm much happier. I'm much more fulfilled. Mm-hmm. I have, do I have doubts? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um being in a religion has brought me so much more mm-hmm. than being an atheist ever brought me. Mm-hmm. Being an atheist brought me almost nothing. <laughs> Which, in a way, it doesn't say it's going to bring you anything, I guess. Right, yeah. Um, and religion says it will bring you things, and it does. Mm-hmm. Catholicism does. It, it, yeah. it, like, Catholicism has fulfilled every promise to me thus far. Mm-hmm. So awesome. I'm going to keep going with that because it's yeah. been reliable. Yeah, of course. Um, I don't know, man. Would you rather be... Would you, would you rather be... I don't know. True versus... I'm happy. <laughs> like, like, on a spiritual level, I guess. Day, day to day is tough, no doubt. Uh, but the riches of a Catholic life are, are so immense to me. Yeah. That to, to give them up would make no sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to me, it's like, like, like Christ says, he, like, he will, like, if like, you knock, he will answer. Mm-hmm. And in my, in my experience, that has been true. Yeah. Um, not in some kind of magical interventionist way. Mm-hmm. In very, like, day-to-day things. Mm-hmm. And I see God in those day-to-day things. Yeah. Um, so, like, like, what is, like, what would atheism, what would, what would an atheist counter to this say? Mm-hmm. But, like, like, to me, it's like, like, Catholics say that if you go to Jesus, you will live better. And, like, that is, in my experience, absolutely true. Uh-huh. So, like, how can an atheist counter that? Like, um, I guess I would say that sounds like a big fat cope. Cope. And you know, is that a good argument? I, I have no doubt that I have no doubt that <laughs> yeah. wishful thinking makes people happy, mm-hmm. and you know, people who have unrealistic delusions, you know, yeah. it it might help them get through life, and I don't begrudge them that. Yeah, but you know, I'm I'm just made of tougher stuff, and I can face the truth of the the yeah. cold uncaring universe <laughs> i don't i don't need these lies to <laughs> tell myself it's all gonna be okay yeah i know that life is bullshit and then we're yeah yeah great i, I think they would say that you're right and then i would counter to them where does that leave you man uh-huh <laughs> it, leaves, it leaves me in a life that's bullshit exactly which is exactly what they're saying religion yeah. is so yeah. it's like uh, atheism to me is a snake eating his tail it's like mm-hmm. come on man uh, I don't know. Yeah. I, I I just much prefer talking to people who believe in something. The, yeah. like, the, the people who believe in things tend to be much more interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah. and, you know, when, when I'm having a bad day, I can bring it to God. Mm-hmm. I can get on my knees and say, you know, God, I feel like shit, and I wish I were not like this. Yeah. And, you know, just just kind of sit with how I feel and know that God is sympathizing with me. Like, if there's no God, mm-hmm. all I can do is sit there and be sad. Like, 
Yeah, and is there like is there is there I guess some people would say there's a virtue to that. Uh so they would be sad. Yeah. <laughs> um but but like it's you're never alone. Okay. Yeah. This is something that I think really sticks in my craw about the whole idea of God mm-hmm. is no one can ever have any privacy. <laughs> we're we're never we're never all alone. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I. I don't know. I've always been a very private person. Yeah. And. I don't like the idea that someone is is watching me and and watching my thoughts all the time. <laughs> like. I don't know. I know what that, you mean. And some yeah. people would even say that God is the mechanism of control in this way. Yeah. Um, and and maybe it shows. You know, I, I have a lot of guilt because I don't manage my own thoughts well. I used to have a thing where I would get, after I would masturbate or after mm-hmm. I watched porn, mm-hmm. I would get super guilty because <laughs> I would think yeah. about God seeing it. Yeah, no shit. Yeah, and that sucks. And I hated yeah. that. And I would, like all my like my grand my grandma's in heaven looking down at me just mm-hmm. <laughs> just yeah. shaking their head. Grandma's in heaven. She's got better things to do. Exactly. <laughs> I, I I agree with that. Uh, but I was thinking, God, what would you think about this? And uh-huh. recently I came to this conclusion. Uh-huh. I was like, if I, if I went to heaven and I said, God, I watch so much dirty stuff on the internet. And God would say, well, good, you. I think, I think this is what God would say. God would say, good. You took immense joy in every detail of my creation. Down to the dirtiest orifice. You loved it. <laughs> and I was like, hey, man, nice. Yeah. It's all, yeah, it's all, it's all creation. It's all good. Yeah. You know, that's that's an interesting way to think about it. <laughs> so I, I sort of believe like in the legalistic Christianity. I kind of think um, everything in moderation is, is a good thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. If it's from God, it's good. <laughs> if it's from the earth, it's from God, it is good. Yeah. I don't know. I, I think that's that's also a big part of... That was a big incentive to lose my faith, for sure, mm-hmm. is discovering masturbation and pornography and and wanting to fool around with women mm-hmm. and like you know by when, when when I went off to college I was excited to to be able to screw around for sure and like what's wrong with that yeah what yeah what's wrong with it is it, it's not fulfilling no i mean it it was miserable it is miserable yeah <laughs> i've gotten to the point now where i just i don't even do like one night i don't do casual at all mm-hmm. anymore because it just makes me feel depressed and empty yeah. uh but there's a time you know i think there's a time in your life where like you have to go there and find out yeah uh but no it's not fulfilling. i think that i think that's why i think humans are meant for monogamy like i, I think like we're meant for intimacy mm-hmm. uh yeah 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 i mean i've 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 had I've had like long-term intimate relationships and I've had, you know, hookups mm-hmm. and and it's the longer-term ones that are a lot more fulfilling. And and the sex is a lot better too. Oh gosh, cuz you know each other better. To me like casual sex at this point is like not even worth having. Like it's it's so I I think I'm a, I'm a bit more sensitive than most men with this. Mm-hmm. But once you, you have sex with someone Right. Yeah. <laughs> nice. 
I wouldn't even go, I wouldn't even go there. But uh... no, I was just thinking. Let me run this by you. Mm-hmm. There, there are some times when I really, I wish that I had knocked up my high school girlfriend. Yeah. I wish that I had been forced to stay with her. Mm. Because, because, okay. There's a couple of different things at play. Mm. And one of them is being with someone for a couple of years. So much of who you are like the the person you develop into during that time is caught up in your relationship and when that relationship ends it feels like i lose considerable parts of myself and maybe maybe that's a me problem mm. that i just really don't want to revisit things that that remind me of of people I've lost. Oh man, in a way that's quite beautiful because you're you're realizing the distributed nature of the self. Yeah, yeah. It'd be better if I realized it sooner. Oh man, I know what you mean though because it's like we all have um. It's like okay, it's like in in Harry Potter how <laughs> killing tears your soul. Ooh yeah. That, what if sex does that? But like for real. Hmm. The, and there are like there are ways that I've really damaged myself hmm. mm-hmm. I don't know that mm-hmm. I, that's what I feel so, yeah. sometimes yeah I, I yeah man I don't know hmm. I uh, when I was 12 years old I I, I, I swallowed like the, like the dare abstinence Kool-Aid like pretty hard mm-hmm. and I remember praying to God I was like God I will never have sex I'll never do drugs because mm-hmm. I thought that's what I was supposed to do this is like the to me, this is like the obedient God watching all the time, right? Like a control yeah. mechanism. Yeah. Uh, but like I've I've looked I've looked at my I but now looking at, back at my romantic history and where I've ended up now I'm alone and I've I, I don't like how I spent I don't like how I've treated myself sexually or others sexually, mm-hmm. and it's like wow was he listening like 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 did I break that promise and now I'm being punished for it mm-hmm. <laughs> you know sometimes like that has crossed my mind. Um, but I, but maybe like there is a right way to approach this question of sex. There, there's, there's a, there's a sacred way of doing it that maybe we haven't done. Um, I don't know. I guess I I trust that there's something good at the end of the striving. Yeah. So there, there is a way to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, that's one's consolation I can take from it. Uh But now it's like, especially like like, post COVID, it's like, how are, how do people date? (laughs) I don't know how they do it. Uh, where are the people? Mm-hmm. Um, there's also like a divide with like younger folks now because when I was at Paseo on a couple dates, mm-hmm. but people were like 22, mm-hmm. and I'm only I'm only 25, but like already there's like different expectations. Like mm-hmm. they don't want your phone number, they want your Instagram. Oh, interesting. To like vet you, uh-huh. <laughs> I guess like one one girl, she was like doing the flirting with me, mm-hmm. and then when it came time for asking out time, mm-hmm. and she was like, "Oh, can I have your Instagram?" Mm-hmm. I was like, "I don't have one." Uh-huh. Can I have your number? Uh, and she looked at me like perturbed. Uh-huh. Like I had like asked her to show me like her page or something. Wow. I was like, whoa, I didn't know that this was a faux pas. A uh-huh. taboo now. Uh-huh. So I was like, oh man. So I guess I can't date the younger set because I just have a whole different, I can't accommodate that. And then on the dates, they just thought about TikTok the whole time. And it's uh-huh. like, I don't have one of those either. So I, I can't relate to you. Mm-hmm. 
but maybe that's just a college town thing, but... Yeah. <laughs> I, no, I feel like the, the generation gap problem is, like, accelerating. That it's, it's just a few years between us and, and people that we feel like we have nothing in common with, culturally. Yes. You know? It's like my, my sister was born in 2000, and she's very much a Gen Z... Mm. There's like a there's like a pretty clear fault line I think even mm. over a few my brother too born in ninety eight but mm. more Gen Z for sure mm. like, I don't know what happened but like there's some kind of fault line yeah that has been crossed yeah and and I mean I don't even know it's like my sister is twenty now mm-hmm. and she's she's twenty one but yeah I mean people who are like twelve years old today. <laughs> <laughs> are they are they a totally separate culture even than Gen Z? Probably. I, yeah. I mean, the internet, like the what social media has done, is so radical mm-hmm. to people's uh, thinking mm-hmm. and like the generation's common experience. Yeah. Like, and it, and it moves so fast. Yeah. Like I mean, say what you will about the millennials. Like mm-hmm. we remember dial up. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we recall... When you couldn't uh, use the internet and the phone at the same time? You could, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so you had... There were, there were breaks built in. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gen Z and whatever is after them, mm-hmm. there is no break. There, right. The singularity is inching closer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, they, like, and I mean, we watched cable growing up. Mm-hmm. You know, internet yeah. TV was not a thing. Mm-hmm. Everybody watched The Office. Exactly. And that was the thing you would talk about at school. Like, right. people, they, like, there was, like, television events right. were still a thing. Yeah. Like, there was a thing, there was, like, American Idol or something. The oh, Office. yeah. That everyone would, like, tune in at the same time mm-hmm. to watch. And mm-hmm. if you missed it, you missed it. Mm-hmm. And then you, but then you would talk about it. Right. That is not a thing anymore. Yeah. That is obliterated. Yeah. But now yeah. they have such a different experience of their media. Mm-hmm. I, I, don't, I don't know, man. It's, it's, it's beyond... And I sound like, like an old fogey, but like... <laughs> we I, are. I, we are, <laughs> and I think the internet has moved so fast mm-hmm. that it has accelerated generational change as well. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, okay. Taking this on a bit of a tangent. Mm-hmm. The name American Idol. <laughs> are you convinced by now that it reflects a, a kind of satanic agenda? <laughs> in uh, television programming <laughs> the double meaning of idol yeah um <laughs> the television is the american idol Ooh, oh i like that there's a, yeah it's almost like a, like an imminent critique of or something they, yeah see and th- these are the kind of thoughts that acid just gives you in bucketfuls yeah yeah i don't know if i would have i don't know if, <laughs> i don't know if sober anybody would have thought that um but that the experience that's awesome i love that thought is it awesome or is it awful? <laughs> um, I don't. Yeah, and I, I, I mean, I, I think of a like I remember when American Idol was at its peak. Mm-hmm. People were like, "Oh, if if people voted like this for presidential elections, like they vote for American Idol, mm-hmm. then we would have like immense turnout." Yeah. Guess what? We had a reality show president, and it's like that. That like that came to bear. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's a really good point. pure spectacle. You know, you know, like people, reality is not a thing for people. Right. Trump became president by being an entertainer. It was only a matter of time. Yeah. American Idol anticipated it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, that's really true. Yeah, exactly. Entertainer. Yeah, exactly. People wanted that. People don't want, they didn't want to turn the TV off. You Mm -hmm. know, they wanted the show to end. Yeah. 
Um, I also think, you know, like, I think most people came, most people believe that the American political system itself had become a joke. And so why not just elect an entertainer? Yeah. And that, that's why I, was, I never really freaked out about Donald Trump, because I was like, uh-huh. I, I had disinvested from American politics long uh-huh. before him. Yeah. So the people who freaked out about him, like the Trump derangement syndrome, those people tended to be people who were still invested in the system in some way. Uh-huh. But for me, I was like, and you know, part of this is because like of my, my, my I'm pretty comfortable. Yeah, I'm not threatened mm-hmm. really by mm-hmm. politics. But um, I just kind of laughed because this the thing the whole thing was a joke long before Trump. Me, yeah. Trump just made it very. It, it was shaping up to be Hillary Clinton versus Jeb Bush. Exactly. Yeah. Then nobody like, wants that. Exactly. That that was when. I was like, this This is a joke. Uh-huh. This is, in what way is this a democracy? Uh-huh. And so when, when Trump came in, I was like, oh, great, now it's just obvious that this is fake. Yeah. Like, because we have a reality show guy now. Yeah. So like, it is obvious, and we can just enjoy the show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, it, but now it was quite a way. show. It was a great show. <laughs> I kind of miss, I, I miss him. I miss how funny he was. Yeah. Um, he's the greatest tweeter of all time. Oh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I... I feel like his uh, tweets were a real disadvantage. Just as <laughs> as a politician, mm-hmm. it seems like uh, if someone had taken his phone away, he would have been more popular. If he had, like, yeah, well, yeah, because perhaps he might have actually done what he campaigned on. Yeah, but but yeah, just thinking about what, like, what. Did the Trump administration do that was so different than than any other president? Not nothing. It, right. Which is why he lost. Yeah. 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 Because if he had actually done, if he had been as different as some anticipated, mm-hmm. he probably would have been popular enough to win again. Mm-hmm. I mean, shit. Election night. Mm-hmm. In his victory speech, he talked about congressional term limits. Yeah. And. I got real excited to hear that. And nothing came of that. No, he talked about congressional term limits. He talked about withdrawing from the Middle East. Mm-hmm. Uh, Which, yeah, he had four years to do it. Yeah, and then Biden did it within a few months. Mm-hmm. Um, he talked about a lot of other kind of, like, radical things. Um, I forget what. But there, there were some like, things, even me, a yeah, lefty was like... protectionism, like yeah. tariffs with China and stuff. Tariffs with China. I, I actually don't know how all of that... Kind of shook out. I right. Heard. He talked Next about bringing things, manufacturing yeah. back, which right, coming right. from the Midwest, I don't know how feasible that ever was. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's the right thing to say. <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah, at least he knows what people want to hear. Yes, yes. And that was that was so different <laughs> from Clinton and Bush. Because, like, oh, it was like they clearly did not even know what uh-huh. people wanted to hear in America. Yeah. Um, and so if he had done even half of those things, I think. Because, I mean, even me, a lefty, was like, this guy might not be that bad mm-hmm. because he's not beholden to anybody. Mm-hmm. He's not beholden to a party structure. Yeah. But then when he mm-hmm. got into office, at some point he did become beholden to it. Yeah. And, and I feel like that's because of his lack of political experience. Mm-hmm. It wasn't that he was financially dependent, but he was dependent on the D.C. establishment to get anything done. Yes. Because – and, okay, so – here is where I feel like Trump really sabotaged himself mm-hmm. is he took it for granted that a lot of people he brought into his administration who had worked in Washington before mm-hmm. 
would be loyal to Trump <laughs> instead of to the Washington system. Yeah, which and was the misstep. Yeah. Yes, because yeah, they, yeah, they've turned on him. Uh-huh. I, I, I wouldn't even say it's they've turned on him. Mm-hmm. It's that Trump thought people who were just DC players would just be won over by his charisma or whatever. Right. And would turn on their, That's their side. Yeah, he never really like, had them. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. Yes. Well, his whole appeal was that he was going to bring like, what he was anti DC. Right. Yeah. Um. I think. Um. Yeah. And I don't know who got into his ear. And if, if this goes live, my I have to use a pseudonym <laughs> because yeah. I'm saying such like I could lose my oh, position for saying. I, mean, I, I will edit this. Don't yeah. worry. Oh, you're you're <laughs> awesome. I mean, I have this is truly what I believe. But it's like the like the like the state of like American professionalism today is like this. What I'm saying is controversial mm-hmm. to the point where I could be blacklisted. Yeah. Um. Uh, I don't know how this happened, but I thought, um, for yeah, a lot I of mean, selfish reasons. <laughs> I mean, imagine if the Nazis had won World War II. Yes. And, you know, they would have done some good things for, for their people in the name of, of utilitarianism. Mm-hmm. And... They would have told themselves stories about how all the atrocities that they committed in the war were justified for the sake of, of building this glorious new society. It's a fairly chilling thought. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like a Nazi state of America. Nazi yeah. states of America. Yeah. Um, and I mean, they, they would think about the Holocaust maybe the way, think, the way we think about the atomic bombs. It had to happen. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's not a pretty part of history. Exactly. But... <laughs> You know, war, you have to make some sacrifices. Yeah, they probably would. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, yeah, it's an uncomfortable thought. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it's like, can you even have any other, cre- like, I know what you're talking like, can, can you have any other credibility in any of your other principles if, like, you're doing that? You know, mm-hmm. it's, yeah. like, who are you to talk about anything if you're, like, literally, say, like, justifying, uh, you know, like, Cruelty. I mean, because it is cruelty. Like, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm not a fan of how these cows are slaughtered and slaughtered. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a reason why I've never looked at a PETA video because I'm afraid if I did, I would become a vegetarian. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. That, that was part of it for me, seeing videos from slaughterhouses and, and factory farms. Uh, and and in, in some sense, I felt like I owed it to my girlfriend. Yeah. Because, because it meant a lot to her. Yeah. And I felt like if she took it so seriously I should at least see what all the fuss is about that, yeah that's like respectful mm-hmm. um, and, and but I feel like it's also tied in with the atheism thing mm. which that's probably not important from a storytelling perspective but I feel like from a understanding my own development perspective it's it matters that without religion in my life I found some kind of moral framework that let me that let me draw lines between what's right and what's wrong Mm mm-hmm yeah, because uh, it, like it, it was in opposition to the argument that like you need God to be moral, 
Yeah. 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 And, but also just that we need a moral framework. Like, oh. Uh, with that, like, like what, like, there's like, um, you know, cause there's, there's a spectrum in terms of how much people need to be around other people. Yeah. And I feel like I'm, I'm on the low end of that spectrum, mm -hmm. but it's easy for me to like round that off and say, I absolutely don't need other people in my life. And it's not even something that I consciously say to myself. It's just the habits and routines that I set up in my life. I do it in a way that assumes that no one else will, will interfere with the way that I like to set up the patterns of my own life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And if I'm always arranging my life with this assumption that I'm going to be alone most of the time and that's the default way for me to be, then it actually makes it feel more annoying and disruptive when, when I want to spend time with people and I have to change my schedule and the routines of the day have to move around and and it's like i i get so attached to my own ways of doing things mm -hmm. that I, I i get self-centered and i don't want to have the influence of other people in my life yeah it's, you think you want that until you have therapist. it uh it is a shame uh to mm -hmm. me uh-huh was of the uh, understood that we that um to uh -huh. an attorney uh huh uh huh understood the he did uh huh some crazy shit yeah but he understood exactly he mm -hmm. these like bush people. So right. no, this is what this is. Right. And understood that mm -hmm. in a way that Trump he doesn't he didn't. Yeah. And so the whole thing. Was yeah. Mm -hmm. I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I think. It, I don't know how this happened, but I thought um. Seen some things. Yeah. Yeah. And and I feel like overall. I was very enamored with some transhumanist ideas. It sounds like the group of the most annoying people. <laughs> like, I can't... Kind of, yeah. Just knowing Slayer, with these, like, internet atheist types. Somewhat, yeah. But okay. also, also very much into uh, virtue signaling. Mm. And virtue signaling about, like, you, it's not good to give money to homeless people in America when you could be spending money on mosquito nets in Africa where, you know, people die of malaria every right, day. Right. And, you know, there, there's always just this kind of one-up game that, that people play. Like, I, I care about the poor more than you. Mm -hmm. And it's funny. It's like it alienates people from their own communities <laughs> because, yes, you know, yes. the, the homeless people in San Francisco they have access to a lot of resources that a lot of poor people around the world can only dream about. Mm -hmm. And so as a, I get it that 
you know, the people who are really poor in an objective sense should be the priority, but but it's it feels so cold and and calculated. Calculated. Because, yes, it's mm-hmm. almost it, it seems like utilitarianism to me. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like, what's the lowest common denominator uh-huh. here? Yeah, calculating is the right word. Mm-hmm. And and I think a lot of people who are in this scene would say, yeah. I mean, it, it is. It's a utilitarian calculation because if we're talking about the amount of lives saved per, you know, $1,000 donated, mm-hmm. it's like you can buy a lot more mosquito nets than you can help out homeless people here. But, but I like what you say. It's like it's ignoring the suffering next door. Yeah. It's like you're like you're for whatever reason, we're all born where we're born. And it's, there, there's always something to be done nearby. And that suffering is suffering, I think. it's Yeah. Yeah. And Jesus said, the poor we will always have with us. Yeah. And, and I think it's like, it's not just through time, but also like, even in rich societies, there will be people who get left out. Mm-hmm. And, and that was one of the sad things about San Francisco. Like, when I lived in the Bay Area, going to San Francisco, I always had complicated feelings about it. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, it's it's a great city. There's a lot of beautiful stuff, art and architecture, and there's a lot of fun to have. But it's also got a huge homeless problem. And the amount of human waste on the streets, like, yeah. has become an internet meme. There are right. apps where, where you can track reports of, of poop on the streets of San Francisco. And, like, this, this has been going on for years. And... The irony. Right. For, for such a wealthy city, all this Silicon Valley money, mm-hmm. it, it builds a lot of, of high-rises and luxury apartments. And, you know, it makes places like Palo Alto very nice. <sighs> but I know someone from Palo Alto. <laughs> and... They're, they're just the most spoiled people in the world. That would track on my experience. <laughs> yeah. And the most... Um, so I've got, I've got one, one comment and one question to what you just said. Please. The comment is that these... San Francisco and Palo Alto in the Bay Area, mm-hmm. it's clearly one of the most stratified areas of the country economically. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. The most opulent, the most opulent uh, 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 wealth mm-hmm. contrasted against some of the most uh, austere poverty. I mean, human yeah. waste on the streets? Are you kidding yeah. me? Yeah. The first oh. time I saw a homeless man masturbating was in a BART station in San Francisco. <laughs> like, we have poverty here in St. Louis, but, like, you don't see that, really. Uh-huh. Um, and yet, the people at the top of Bay Area society mm-hmm. have these politics that are so performatively progressive. Right. And it's like, they, they have no problem shaming others, for example, their stance on the pandemic. And the uh-huh. person I know from Palo Alto loves doing that. Mm. But it's like... Look at your own city. Like, like uh-huh. clearly, you do not really like. I what are two, one of two things have happened. Number one, one is that my what I thought was the definition of being on the left, which is caring for the poor and the working class, is not what it means to be on the left anymore to them. Mm-hmm. Because clearly, they do not care about it. If they're letting if they're letting such poverty and homelessness spread in their own city while they're um getting continuously richer, right? Or there's. Or they, they sincerely uh, have bought their own bullshit and think that they 
that they are the ones who are going to ameliorate, ameliorate this problem and all other problems. I mean, they clearly think that they are the moral authorities of America no, because absolutely. they're the ones who are always on their platforms uh, grandstanding about mm-hmm. this or that that a political issue. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I mean, you're I mean, you're from California. But like, how do you explain this 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 hypocrisy? That's a good question. I think um, in a lot of cases, it is just denial mm. that. I think a lot of wealthy people in San Francisco, at some level, they kind of know that things are bad for a lot of people, but they don't go to those neighborhoods. They generally don't have to see all the the raggedy people Mm. hanging out and begging tourists for money. And so it's easy to just not have all of that inequality be, be a part of your world. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I think I think also like from personal experience just living around a lot of homeless people, you do get good at ignoring them. Uh, <laughs> this is oh, like, she's super sad, but true. Yeah. yeah. I, and if if you have the same people asking you for money every day when you're walking to class, mm-hmm. you know, you, you can't just give money to everyone who asks for it all the time. No, they, it, yes. Yeah, I, I, I told my brother the same thing. My brother still lives in a small town, Ohio, mm-hmm. and he's like, bless his heart. He has such a big heart for animals and mm-hmm. people and all who suffer. Mm-hmm. And I told him, I can't, I told him when I go walk outside in, in this city, I, 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 almost every time a homeless person approaches me for money. Yeah. And I told him, I can't, I, I don't give things every time. Yeah. Because you can't. Because eventually you will run out of money. Yeah. Um, you have yeah, to draw a line at some point. Yeah. Where it's like I've g- I gave yesterday. I cannot give today. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't I don't think that's a sin or anything. It's it's mm-hmm. like, and I was getting mad because I'm like, why don't you guys go to Clayton? <laughs> like like go talk to people who can afford to give you things. I'm just uh-huh. a student. What can yeah. I give you? Yeah. Um, but that's the problem. <laughs> the stratification. Yeah. The students are more likely to be suckers. This is true. Yeah. <laughs> people in Clayton, they ain't got families to feed. Oh no! And like those guys have internalized cruelty as as a philosophy. But um, we've gotten off topic a little bit. Uh, I feel like overall Trump was not the right man for the moment. Mm. That in the hands of a more capable leader, the last four years, or I mean the the Trump administration, if it had had a more capable leader, mm-hmm. would have united the country in a in a more significant way. You think only Bernie Sanders? Um, maybe. Because I, I think Bernie was actually not that different from Trump in, in uh, style. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think that they tapped into a similar energy. Yeah, but, absolutely. But I, I, but, I, but, I, but I do believe that Sanders understood politics and was genuine in what he was saying. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Sanders would have had a lot more um, uh, reconciliation, reaching across the aisle. I think he I could have been a, like an yeah. FDR type figure in mm-hmm. which every like the American populace pretty much writ large united behind. Because yeah. I mean, everyone and, loved FDR. Like yeah. no matter yeah. what part of the country you lived in, yeah. No sure. matter if you were a Democrat or Republican before FDR, mm-hmm. you liked FDR. Yeah, you know, you know he who, went to like four yeah. terms. Like, like yeah. can you imagine that? Yeah. Do you know who didn't like FDR? Uh, I mean, rich guys, but yeah, they called him a traitor to his class. They tried the they tried the aggressor to coup. Mm-hmm. The the business plot, mm-hmm. yeah, Prescott. Bush. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yes. Prescott Bush. Yes, but a traitor to his class. Yeah, they were like outraged, but yeah. it had to. But it, it, FDR was probably the only person who could have done it because mm-hmm. of his wealthy background. Right, right. He, like he like kind of did it from within. Right, and and I feel like 
Bernie Sanders did not have the fortitude to stand up to entrenched power after, in, I, I, yeah. in the Democratic Party, for sure. After 2020, and, that, I, I came and, to that conclusion. And, and so it, yeah. I do have doubts about how strong he would have been as a president or if mm-hmm. he would have if he would have been like an Obama who yeah. just kind of who talks a big game and then completely folds over to corporate interests and and doesn't have any real change happen in his administration. Oh man, I know. Well, Obama's trying to be a real asshole. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, it's very but the hope was real. Like, he, yes, the hope was real. I was thinking about that the other day. Like, oh, the Obama administration, like, there's no Trump without the disappointment of the Obama years. Yeah. But, yeah. 2008 to 2009, but what Obama did give the country hope. Like, that was real. You're right. Mm-hmm. Like, the hope was real. Yeah. Like, I remember how good it felt. Mm-hmm. Like, after, like, the darkness of, like, the Iraq war and stuff. Like, yeah. people genuinely, like, 08, 09, people genuinely kind of felt good. Like mm-hmm. optimistic. I mean, you would get from a Republican household, so this might be different for you. Mm-hmm. But um, and my ex was also a California Republican family, so she was like shocking about one. Uh, um, I wasn't, but I remember thinking generally people were like, "Oh, we're turning a page." Yeah. And the country was reasonably united for a moment. Mm-hmm. And then not since then have I felt any like national hope. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, Obama wasn't the guy I wanted, but I tried to be optimistic about where the country was going, that, you know, we, we had all kind of soured on George W. Bush by then. Oh, yeah. And like every, his approval, approval rating was, like, in the 20s or something. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know. I wasn't... I didn't feel strongly about Obama one way or the other. Mm. That, yeah, I think... I, I hoped he would do a good job, but overall... I think at that point, I was already getting cynical. Like, mm-hmm. like it doesn't matter who is president. Uh, it took me. It took me about till the second term to get to that point when I realized mm-hmm. that no, this 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 country is not run by the president. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, yeah, I was I was totally spent with him. I I, I saw mm-hmm. him speak at in my hometown of Kent. Uh huh. And it was he's a good speaker. Oh yeah. I mean the guy's crazy charismatic. Mm-hmm. I mean as a politician, incredibly skillful. Uh, and to give the country, like, like, like to give the country hope on the level he did is crazy. Mm-hmm. It's just sad that, I mean, by the end of the, by the end of his term, we weren't in a recession anymore, mm-hmm. but like things weren't great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, I mean, like, it's hard to measure like his impact because it, it I just don't think it was that immense mm-hmm. politically, yeah. maybe culturally yeah. it was like, Oh, well now we know like a black guy could be president. Right. right. But like. Is like that was it. <laughs> it's I mean, I mean like the, the the Obamacare was helpful to me because uh-huh. I could stay on my parents' insurance. Oh yeah, yeah, me too. Yeah, like that, that that's like actually one of the that's like one of the few like federal policy mm-hmm. moves that I actually felt in a very real way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like, that I'm was actually, good. I'm actually <laughs> uninsured now. Oh damn! You need a job. Yeah. yeah I, mean, <laughs> I I think I think they got rid of the fine for being uninsured, mm-hmm. so I won't have to pay to not have health insurance, but. Yeah, I'll, I'll have a job before the end of this year. Yeah, well, that, that's why I mean, I'm a universal healthcare guy because it's like, why should why should you why should you yeah. do your work? Yeah, I mean, most other countries can do it. Yeah, like, <laughs> why don't we just ask the UK or Canada? Right. for some tips. Yeah, I thought I, th- <laughs> I know I thought we were supposed to be like a, like a like a functioning country. Mm-hmm. Um, 
for some yeah some tips yeah and and I mean that was one of that was one of Obama's big promises yes Obamacare and, was a meager fucking and, concession. yeah and we didn't even get a public option <laughs> I know not even an option yeah um yeah and, so that's a disappointment and I wonder if that's also a, a lack of experience he was young is, yeah he, he it was his first term in the Senate and right and I wonder if you know, he just, he didn't know his way around D.C. the way he would have if he'd run for president eight years later. And he, yeah, I mean, he, the elegant, like an LBJ it, type who could manipulate anybody. Right, yes, right. He played the Senate like a fiddle LBJ, mm-hmm. according to the histories I've read, at least. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I heard he used to urinate in public. That was an intimidation tactic. His dick at the cops. Exactly. <laughs> He would do that to intimidate his Kowtow's opponents. Nice. Yeah. He would, he would, like, have meetings with them while he was shitting. Oh, that's awesome. And he would just, like, not stop talking. Uh-huh. And he would, like, expect you to follow him into the bathroom. It's like, what He's a power impressive. move. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. What are you going to do? Yeah, that's great. <laughs> um, yeah, man. On the other hand, Biden's been in the Senate forever. And he seems like he yeah. seems quite inert. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but... Uh, just it also came to mind that the whole idea of trusting experts. Yes. I feel like that's gotten very corrupted. Yes. And and you know, if you have if you have a new president who's trying to pick cabinet appointees, it's mm-hmm. like, well, who should regulate the banking industry. Right. It should be someone who knows banking. <laughs> I'll hire someone from Citigroup. Exactly. Exact. Yes. That was beautifully said. <laughs> He's an expert. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's, that's where do you get the experts? Ugh. I'm going to say that next. I, I had to debate with that girl from Palo Alto how much she loves experts. Mm. She was like, I trust. We were, we were debating like COVID and stuff. And I, I, I made the point to her about the Johnson & Johnson vaccine that I made to mm. you. Mm-hmm. And she was like, I guess I just trust experts more. Yeah. And I should have said that. Because I was like, well, I mean, it, what I said was experts haven't given me reason to trust them. Mm. But that is why. Mm-hmm. Because expertise is simply used to justify corruption. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> Information, as, as we've learned from the Rogan thing, like, mm-hmm. expertise is very political. Yeah. Like, really what it is, is a contest over who has the right to claim expertise. It's gatekeeping. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's who has the right to say, this is authoritative, this is not. Right. What institutions are you aligned with? Mm-hmm. You can be an expert if you're from Harvard, Yale, and Princeton. Right. So, oh, That's- wow, three schools from that hire only super rich, that uh, admit super rich students. Uh-huh. Interesting that you say that those people are the experts because uh-huh. you are one of them as well. Right. Uh, interesting. Uh-huh. It's almost like this is like a neo aristocracy. Uh huh. Where it's, it's like, oh, the peasants like the are in the mud. <laughs> they leech out. The peasants are in the mud. Us, us genteel nobles are the only ones who are living the life of the mind, and therefore we must govern. Uh huh. Fuck that. Yeah. Yeah. The elites. The power. They elite. set up society for their own benefit. Yes, as it always <laughs> has been. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, the, yeah. This expertise thing is bullshit. But try, but, but like, I'm in the academy, dude. Like, they yeah. think they're, for one thing, I, I think like, expertise is yeah. a real thing. It is. And like, they traffic in it. Mm-hmm. And like, so it's like, they take it very personally. Yeah. When you, yeah, of course. But I, I just wrote a whole paper about into how, uh, like, Jack London, like, shits on intellectuals. And it's like, mm. I, I'm afraid there's going to be backlash on this. But, uh-huh. but it's uh-huh. how I, it's, I don't know. It's how I think. Um, yeah. I think intellectuals need to be humbled. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, 
you know, our, our society has done so much with what, what experts have given us, like all of our advances in, in science and technology, like these all, yeah. I don't know how my iPhone works. <laughs> like I take Apple's word for it that, that it's put together the right way. Mm-hmm. And, and there's all this, there's all this trust that's just baked into these systems is they're too complex for us to understand. Yeah. Um, Have you read C. Wright Mills, The Power Elite? No. It's, that's what he talks about. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's like, like modern life is too complicated mm-hmm. um, and too specialized mm-hmm. for the modern man to understand. Yeah. And so you need the you need these elites Yeah. Uh, to do it. But yeah. it's like, does it have to be this complicated? Or is it right. made this complicated intentionally? Right. And uh, it's like all our technology, it really it elevates technical expertise to a level of, of social power mm-hmm. that it didn't used to have before. Like, you know, a, one person can work on a, a software system that affects millions of people's lives. And so one, like, one person's expertise gives them so much more leverage over other people than, yes. than it used to be. Yeah, and people look at you like you're crazy when you say that. <laughs> like, people look at me like, I'm, I don't use Google, I use Quant. Mm. And people look at me like I'm crazy. Uh-huh. It's like, why would I ever let any single company have as much power over me as Google does? That's yeah. insane. Yeah. Um, I use DuckDuckGo myself. There you go. Yeah, because you're smart. Yeah. I think it's terrible branding. <laughs> <laughs> I hate telling people to use duck duck, duck go duck duck go yeah like duck duck goose <laughs> <laughs> it's sick dude yeah <laughs> just what an awful name <laughs> I, I know it might as well be asking Jeeves yeah um man it's so funny it's a fine search engine though duck duck go <laughs> um I, I, you're, you're never I'll tell you this right now I, you're never gonna see me on the fucking metaverse uh-huh. I'm not doing that. Uh-huh. I don't care if I get left out in the dirt. I'm not going on the metaverse. I'm kind of curious. <laughs> I've played around with uh, Oculus Quest. Those are cool, yes. Yeah, that yeah. was a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> but I find them very scary. They're too fun. That's, that's mm-hmm. what's frightening to me about them. Yeah. I tried the Oculus yeah. as well. I tried it in college. Like uh-huh. a primitive version, like 2015. Oh, man. And even that was like amazing. Uh-huh. So I can't imagine what they're going to be like now or five yeah. years from now. Yeah, I mean, I, I tried one back in November. It was sick. I bet it was. Yeah. You can live any life you want. <laughs> yeah. The one I did was like like an interactive like New York Times story. Oh, really? So it was like an actual video of, of a rock band. Wow. They profiled a rock band, but you were there with them. Wow. And you were, you were with them on stage as they played to millions of people. Nice. It's like, wow, your wildest fantasies come true. Yeah. You no, too no. can be uh, Billy Joe Armstrong. Uh-huh. But that scared me because I'm like, if I buy this, I will never leave my house. <laughs> Right. <laughs> yeah. so, and I don't want that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mankind's last invention. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I, I've read Aldous Huxley too many times. I've read Brave New World too many times to like mm-hmm. be okay with it. Yeah. But it is yeah. curious, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, have you read Infinite Jest? No, but it's, it's, a, it's a lot like that. Highly recommend, yeah. That's, that's on my list forever. Mm-hmm. It's, it's all about addiction and, and the way that media can be addictive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and that was, like, in 1996. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, imagine, like, a modern Wallace on modern social media. Mm-hmm. I uh, mean, yeah. if David Foster Wallace were alive today, 
I think he would kill himself all over again. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. Uh, I'm gonna read that book. It's time that I read it. I've got some. I've got some time now. I know I'll love it because I, I love them. I have the reader. I, uh-huh. You see the David Foster Wallace reader right there. So I like a lot of like the essays and short stories in there. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, his essays are fantastic. He's he's one of those writers that like makes me want to write. Mm, when he yeah. when he writes, it's like invigorating. Mm-hmm. That's how good he is. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I love his style. But yes. so you you must be a huge fan of um, authority and American usage. Yes. His review of the dictionary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That that's one of my favorites. His review of the dictionary. <laughs> yeah, he's amazing. Or um, have you read E uh, E Pluribus Unum? Or E yeah. Unibus Plurum rather? Yes. Yes. Yeah, that's kind of that, like like a, like a draft of Infinite Jest, like conceptually. Yeah, so. yeah, that was like that was pretty formative for me. Yes, in in my younger days, um, I think it was freshman year of college that I read it, but but yeah, I mean, reading reading Infinite Jest and and Wallace's other stuff, it changed my relationship with media because mm-hmm. I. I read Infinite Jest the summer before college. Oh, man, that's a good time to read it. Yeah. It was a nice workout for the brain. But, but, I mean, a lot lot of things changed when I went to college. (laughs) But, I don't know. I I was not able to be as passive a consumer of TV. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, same, same. I get really really antsy when I go home because my my family very much is, and I'm like... Mm -hmm. Don't like, and I see the commercials they watch. I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah. This is what you consume every day. Because I'm ad blocker, so it's oh, like I don't yeah. see ads. And so when yeah. I see like like the stuff that goes into my parents' brains, uh-huh. I'm like, what? Right. <laughs> this is your, this is what you live. Right. You know what I mean. Mm-hmm. This is what the masses are consuming. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and what's what sort of defense mechanisms have to be installed in their heads for them to just be numb to all of it? You know? <laughs> I know, I know, but I mean, I guess what, like, my, like, the root of my, like, my Luddite-ism, my Luddism, mm-hmm. is that when I was a teenager, like, I got my first smartphone, like, high school, uh-huh. and I got super addicted to Twitter and Facebook, mm. and a ton of stuff, because mm. <laughs> I had it in my pocket, like, how could, like, you can't give, and I kind of blame my parents for this, to be honest with you, uh-huh. you can't give a developing brain that kind of power mm-hmm. and leisure. Mm-hmm. But our our parents, my parents at least, did not realize the capacity of a phone to addict a young mind and to right. warp it. Right. Because that's what these are designed for, to mm-hmm. do. Yeah. They're very good at it. I mean, they're the greatest brainwashing machines ever. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, so we all have like a little Chinese prison in our in our pockets. Mm-hmm. Uh, we pay for it. And we, yes, <laughs> yes. We, yeah, they, they, didn't, it's, they, they didn't have to force us to do it. They convince us. You've convinced us to pay. For, yeah, we yeah. pay them for the privilege of brainwashing us. Yeah, it's fucked. Yeah, it really is. Um. Yeah, and so I was like, 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 whenever like my phone would ping, it would it was like Pavlov's dog. Like, mm. oh, look at it. Uh huh. And I was like, who's the machine here? Yeah. Me or the phone? Yeah. And so when I was seventeen, I was just like, culturally, I'm done. Mm. I like, I like, I like downgraded to like uh, Nokia. Mm. I got back to it eventually, but. Because it's really hard to exist in modern society without a smartphone. Oh, yeah. Um, they're making it increasingly difficult. Mm-hmm. But um, I got super freaked out. Because I was mm-hmm. like, I, I feel like because of the age we were, mm-hmm. our developing brains got hijacked. Yeah. Because I remember a rule before it. Mm-hmm. 
And I remember the world after it. Right. And it's like, the difference is extreme to me. Yeah. And like, how quickly the changes descended upon us mm-hmm. with, with little to no resistance, mm-hmm. I find very disturbing. Yeah. Like, I remember a time, people have gotten better with this. Mm-hmm. But I remember a time when like looking at your phone during like a dinner was like totally taboo. Yeah. And within like a year or two, it was normal. Yeah. And that like freaked me out. Was, oh, yeah. Not, not because I'm like, well, I, I think that is rude. But also, uh-huh. but like that's kind of beside the point. Uh-huh. The point is, how could everyone just accept a crazy change like that without questioning it? That's mm-hmm. what like disturbed me about it. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And so I was like, my mind's been, my brain has been rewired. I need to take it back. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, like, like the, I'm not like a dopamine machine. Right. You know, it's like, like it was, I, I realized the manipulation. Mm-hmm. I read this awesome book called The Shallows by Nicholas Carr, where the mm-hmm. internet is doing to our brains. I've heard of it. It's yeah. amazing. He talks about like how like there are studies that show like the, like the gray matter mm-hmm. in your brain like erodes oh, the more you, you use <laughs> internet. That's no good. Yeah. And cause it like, cause it's so overstimulating and distracting. Right. Right. And it's like, you know, you literally like people cannot actually focus like they used to. Like mm-hmm. this is not speculation this is true uh-huh. like our brain like people's young people's brains do not have the physical capacity to mm-hmm. focus like old people's brains do mm-hmm. uh and it's like if you've read any sci- science fiction like Kurt Vonnegut's Harrison Bergeron mm-hmm. Alice has yeah. a great new world yeah. George Orwell's 1984 it's like they this is what they were warning about mm-hmm. like you like a part of your humanity is taken Mm-hmm. And you know, I just try to fight that every day. Yeah, <laughs> I can. Ma- I can now. Can. Man- yeah, we do. What we can. I have one. You know, I'm not. I'm not like better than anybody. Yeah, of course. But I, I just feel like I can manage this a lot better mm-hmm. than I could as a teenager. Oh yeah. Because I just I don't think teenagers are mature enough to handle it. Mm-hmm. And I'm like I think it's crazy that my parents even allow me to have one as a teenager. Yeah. And I probably won't mm-hmm. let my kids have one. But and I I think that's a good idea. Mm-hmm. I think we have no norms about this stuff, but like. You know, we don't let people vote until they're 18. People can't drive a car until they're 16. Like, <laughs> right. it, would, it wouldn't surprise me if, you know, in, in future generations, they say you can't have, you know, internet access on your phone until you're 15 years old. Or yeah. something like that. Uh, yeah, it's and, reasonable. And, like, growing up, I would have hated that rule. I would have resented it so much. Of course. This is the man trying to take things away from me. Yeah. 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 But, I mean, yeah, having having grown up with this stuff, I feel like there's real hazards. And it's it's an open question how much society should prevent people from messing themselves up. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, we've... We have the right to own guns. We don't have the right to own nuclear weapons. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, there is a line. <laughs> yeah. Most people, I mean, yeah. I guess there, there's a point where most people would say, okay, that's reasonable. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> otherwise we would be all dead. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's like, yeah. Are, are smartphones more dangerous than nuclear weapons? I think time will tell. Time will tell. And I feel bad because I do feel like, like social media, like at one point people thought it was like a hope for like democracy. Yeah. But that just yeah. does not feel like it's true anymore. Yeah. To me. Yeah. Well, I really have mixed feelings about social media. Mm-hmm. Because I think the way it, the way it's run now, yeah. it's not a force for good in society. Mm-hmm. 
but I really think it could be. In E Unibus Plurum, mm -hmm. David Foster Wallace had a critique of the internet hmm. where he was, he was res responding to this guy Gilder who was a real sort of utopian about how the internet would, would change things. Yeah. And Gilder's idea was that people would be able to curate the media that they consumed in order to, to tailor the, the information that they were getting specifically to them and so they would have more control over what they were learning and why. Mm -hmm. And Wallace didn't think that was a good reason to be optimistic mm -hmm. because it would just allow people to more frantically pursue whatever was most appealing or stimulating. Yes, yeah. <laughs> but... What, okay, what, what I think Wallace overlooked mm -hmm. was that social media allows everyone to be a broadcaster. Yeah. And that we're not just... We're not just receiving information from a centralized source, but now we're all passing information around in a decentralized way. And I think, I think that's something new that is new i mean i don't think that, i don't think that could have been imagined because mm -hmm. i mean pretty much i mean for like a hundred years like it sounds like the corporatization of like newspapers in like the late 19th century like information was a top-down structure mm. like there were a few companies that gave you what you read and watched and uh -huh. listened to and that was it uh-huh uh and so if we yeah. wanted to go to war we could just call up william randolph hearst exactly print all these papers. Yes, exactly. That literally happened. Um, remember the main. Remember the main, exactly. Spain. Yeah. And like the Iraq war is probably the last one to be manufactured in that way. Because mm -hmm. like, I mean, all after 9-11, like all the news stations oh, yeah. were on it. Um, so you've got Chomsky here. Oh yeah, manufacturing <laughs> consent, yes. Mm -hmm. One of the key texts for our era. Mm -hmm. um, one I've read bits and pieces of. Yeah, right, right, right. Um, but now, it, 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 like you're right. Like I'm pretty, I'm pretty pessimistic about the about the social media as well. But it is hard to imagine a war being manufactured out of nowhere today because there's so many avenues of dissent. Because yeah. we're all broadcasters. Yeah. Well, like this Russia and Ukraine thing. Like, mm. like if if America wanted to send like have like a war over this, people would be like, fuck no. Right. No one, there's no appetite for that. Right. And then, then there would be enough people on social media to, like, spread that around. Mm hmm Yeah. Well, on the other hand, would it also be easier to manufacture some kind of atrocity? <laughs> like, you know, if, if Russia wanted to commit a false flag attack in Ukraine mm. and blame it on the Americans, and they just put all this footage on, on social media, and it's like, look what's going on in Ukraine. Ooh, especially if it was, like, outraged. Like, they, like, involved, like, women and children or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. That could get people on board. All the people who are censorship happy right now, their big thing is misinformation. You gotta keep misinformation away from people. Right. But, but, like, the governments are the greatest sources of misinformation. Yeah, yeah, like, historically. Why would you trust the government? Yeah. 
Yeah, it's so dumb. And it's like, this. yeah, man. Um, it's On the left, it's pretty bad. It's like... And maybe the governments aren't the greatest sources of misinformation, but they're the worst. Because they're, they're the... Most, yeah. Yeah, the most effective. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember, I mean, when we got out of Afghanistan, when we pulled out of Afghanistan uh, last year... Mm-hmm. All these people <laughs> who were like, you know, on the left, right? Mm-hmm. They're like, oh no, the women and the children, like we mm-hmm. have, like we have to stay there. Like, whoa, right. when did like when did like uh, wokeness become like imperialist? Like, uh-huh. are you saying we should go back into Afghanistan to save for feminism? Yeah. yeah. Should oh, we? What about the women in Saudi Arabia? Exactly. Yeah, I can name quite a few countries where it's not fun to be a woman. Mm-hmm. Should we invade those countries? Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> so th- there's this weird flip. Mm-hmm. Ideologically. Mm-hmm. And you know, it goes back to the Iraq war mm-hmm. when, when we were sold this idea that, oh, Saddam Hussein is such a bad guy. We need yeah. to set the Iraqi people free. Yes. And, and it's like, it got us, it got it into our heads that we just have the right to tell other countries what's good for them. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and, and that's imperialism straight up. Straight up. Yeah. Yeah. It's so like, just admit it. Like, mm-hmm. like, don't don't hide behind this like weird progressive rhetoric. Like, if you're an imperialist, you're an imperialist. Like, say yeah. it. You know. Yeah. Um, say that you like Bush. Um, mm-hmm. For me, I grew up in the in the anti-Bush left, so to me, that's still my politics. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's weird to see the flip. But um, Wallace was a drug addict. Yeah. And so I, I think that probably gave him his pessimism over people's capacity to resist the pleasures of the internet because mm-hmm. he knew what it was like. To be succumbed to a hedonism right. and the easiest, the easiest thing to do, which is to just get high. Right, right. Yeah, and a lot of that comes through an in infinite jest. Mm-hmm. I was pessimistic on the internet for a long time, but I, like as as we as we go forth, mm-hmm. I've especially noticed this post pandemic. We're more digital than ever before. Mm-hmm. I mean, we were very digital in twenty nineteen. Yeah, I feel like we're we're twice as digital now. Oh yeah. Um, and I think people are really. Like critiques of the internet are just kind of starting to become relevant because mm-hmm. I think most people have accepted that this is the future. This is mm-hmm. this is what life is now. Yeah, uh, and so yeah, like it's no we like we were saying earlier we have a we have generations of people now who are used to being able to broadcast themselves mm-hmm. to and YouTube slogan broadcast yourself. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Back when YouTube was cool. Oh yeah, yeah well yeah well YouTube is a good example of the pessimistic argument. Because YouTube is so corporatized. Right. It's like, it used to be an amazing thing. Mm-hmm. Now it's like, it's as corporate as, as CNN. It's like, like mm-hmm. yeah, you can find stuff, like it's buried or yeah. completely removed yeah. or censored. And like the front page is all like sponsored ad videos. Uh-huh. Um, but we do have a generation of people who are able to be broadcasters mm-hmm. and to curate an audience for themselves. Mm-hmm. That, like, that, like, that is not unconsequential. Yeah. Yeah, and they grow up in a world where, like, everyone can do that, and they just take it for granted as, you know, it's as much of a right as as being able to read. Like, yeah, right. It, it is just a part of how the world works. It's right, yeah, if you if you want to be, like, a citizen in any meaningful way, <laughs> like, you kind of have to be on it. Yeah, yeah, and, like, I've been, I've been glued to my computer watching all these live streams from Ottawa. Right. And I feel like... That's, it's a great example of the global village at work mm. that mm-hmm. people all around the world can just tune in to whoever's on the street broadcasting this event. Yes. 
is potentially very destabilizing yeah. <laughs> for, the, for yeah. the powers that be. Yeah. Um, sure. And I feel like we saw that in 2011 with the Arab Spring. Mm-hmm. But we haven't quite seen that since. Yeah. But maybe that will come back. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we had Occupy Wall Street. Occupy, yeah, which was the same year as the Arab Spring. Mm-hmm. 2011 was a big year for it. Oh, for, for sure. For, like, like yeah. internet-generated protest. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Occupy was crazy, dude. I, I remember, I remember like, looking at it from high school and being like, man, I wish I was, th- I wish I was old enough to be there. Mm-hmm. I was like, whoa, man, is this a revolution? I want to be a part of it. Yeah. Uh, it was exciting. Uh, but they never had a leadership structure. Uh, they, they, never, they were not serious about seizing power. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of <laughs> see Bernie Sanders as sort of like the aftershock of it. Like, mm-hmm. fought, like after like 10 years, they like, put forth a candidate. Yeah. But they should have done it much sooner. Yeah. They should have organized a party. But they, mm-hmm. they were afraid of taking power. Yeah. They were too egalitarian for their own good. Mm-hmm. And, and so do you think it's the... Do you think the two-party system keeps people locked into voting for the lesser of two evils? Oh, yeah. I think, I think that's, that's, that's just true at this point. I think that's just like evidence just bears that out for the past. Yeah. Look, every, every election since 2000, has been like the most existentially pressing election in history. That's yeah. the messaging. Yeah. That's not going to stop. And so it's mm-hmm. like, if you're faced with an, I think both parties understand this because mm-hmm. both of them treat both the Democrats and the Republicans treat each other as essentially a domestic terrorist organization. Yeah. And there's a reason it's, they do that. Not because they actually scary. believe it. Cause I don't think they actually mm-hmm. do believe that mm-hmm. they do it because it locks people in. Right. Because if you truly believe that the other option is a domestic terrorist party. Uh-huh. You're going to vote for yours over and over and over again, yeah. even if they don't give you anything. Yeah. It essentially lets the parties off the hook yeah. of accountability to the public yeah. forever. And, and this is one thing I can't stand, is we're all losing our sense of the moral ambiguity of, of political issues. It's mm-hmm. like anything that's really controversial for a long time, that's usually because... There's real moral complexity there. Mm-hmm. There are real values that are in tension that we have to negotiate. Abortion's a great and, example. Yes, yeah, they're perfect. Mm-hmm. And, and it's just like, more and more, there's no room for good people to have real differences in their values. It's like, you have to agree with what is correct or else you're just a bad person. It's crazy, it's, it's, it's so extreme. Mm-hmm. It's to the point, like, 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 it's to the point now where it's like, you can't even, like, like, it, like, you, it's, it, even, like, forget about just, like, dissenting, like, or even insisting on moral ambiguity. If you hint at, like, a nuanced perspective, you're mm-hmm. suspect. Yeah. That's what happened to me today at breakfast when I was, like, I think it's good for a child to have a same-sex parent to, like, confide in. Uh-huh. Because, like, the look on my friend's face was, you, are you against <laughs> gay people? Uh-huh. Like, I, you extra- <laughs> that is quite extrapolation. You know what? Do you think a corporate board should have a man and a woman on it? <laughs> Why not a child have a man and a woman parent? Exactly. Like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, forget about like the, the contradictions <laughs> of their thinking. Um, yes, that is also a thing. Um, or it's like, it's, does gender matter at all, or does it matter, or is it the only thing that matters? Right. You know, yeah. like it's like when these people talk about it, it's like they're like they're like they're saying both things at once, it, and it, it's contradictory. Mm-hmm. Like if like if gender didn't matter at all. You like you wouldn't be so like anal about people getting your pronouns right. So obviously yeah. it matters. Yeah. But at the same time, they'll be like, 
my gender doesn't matter. Like, I'm fluid. It's like, how can you have both things at once? Uh-huh. If it didn't matter, if gender it doesn't seems matter. seems like it's the most important thing about you. Exactly. Your whole personality is based on it. Uh-huh. And it's like, if gender also, like, is fluid and doesn't exist, why do people transition? Right. Clearly, people feel gender in a very deep level. Uh-huh. To the point where, like, they will mutilate their bodies. Yeah. Surgically. Yeah. So this whole fluid, like, I, I can, transgenderism, I can actually understand. Mm-hmm. I can understand that as, like, a disconnect between, between mind and body. Mm-hmm. But, like, what I do not understand is non-binaryism and trans, and, uh, trans, and not, uh, gender fluidity. Mm-hmm. That, to me, makes no sense. Uh-huh. Well... I guess if, if you can understand the disconnection between mind and body, mm-hmm. it, it makes sense to me that you could feel more disconnected on some days than on others. I can see that. Yeah, for sure. But, but my take on the whole gender-bending situation is our priorities are backwards, and people should people need help accepting the bodies that they have Mm. instead of getting radical surgery to match some idea in their head about what they should be. Mm. Yeah. And when you put it that way, it's almost like the, the, like the gender surgery is kind of far cry from like plat, like crazy plastic surgery or something. Yeah. Yeah. And, and because, because when people get these surgeries, you know, the doctors who do them get paid a bunch of money Yeah, and it's not even, like, it's a problem with health insurance. It is, yes. But, but it's not even a problem that, like, universal health care would solve. Mm. Because it would just mean, you know, everyone you can, can get, get these surgeries yeah. and there's no copay <laughs> and, and the doctors get paid by the government. Right. Right, right, right. Um, it does remind me, too, of, like, the, psychi- like, the psych- like, what's going on in, like, psychiatry, like, the modern state mm. of, mm-hmm. like, prescribing. Like, there's, like, over-prescription problems. Yeah, and like uh, it seems to me like a lot of a lot of psychiatrists are very anxious, like pathologize people, mm-hmm. like like with the anxiety disorder. It's like, oh, mm-hmm. you have this. Let me give you this prescription. Right. So you, for one thing, keep coming back to me to see me. Right. And yeah. other things, so I can keep getting money from uh, these pharmaceutical companies to sell you their pills. Mm-hmm. And it's like the mental health like, like awareness thing. Like like no one like I want to help people. Like I want to help mm-hmm. people. Like if you're about to jump off the building, we should take you off of it. Yeah. But it's like, if everyone has a mental illness, it's like, who is that? Like, like what? I, I'm just suspicious of like what entities are behind that push. Because mm, yeah. it seems to me, like you say, to also be, it seems very convenient for like pharmaceutical industries and the health insurance industry to have everybody diagnosing themselves with like all kinds of mental illnesses. Uh huh. So a few generations ago, most people did not need to take pills in order to not be suicidal. Right. <laughs> Something has gone seriously wrong with society. I agree with that. And yeah, yeah we we place all the burden on individuals because because only individuals can suffer. Society doesn't suffer. Yes. You know, it's always individuals who have a bad time. That's like the fundamental like my fundamental critique of psychology as a discipline. Mm-hmm. Cuz it's, it's it, it individualizes things that are social. It's like, yeah, you're super anxious um, about work. That that's because uh, we live in a society in which your work, your your value as a human being is based on your economic productivity. Right, right. And no pill is going to fix that. That's right. a social issue. Right. That is manifesting in yourself. But from the perspective of an employer, mm. a pill will fix it. That's because a good point. you get back to work, you're making profit for the company, and there's no problem anymore. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, so, yeah, no, it's, it's inherently, you know, like, bourgeois as fuck and all this. But, um, 
Let's talk about abortion. Oh, yeah. Moral ambiguity. I, I think all babies should be aborted. <laughs> Life is a catastrophe. You know? You know? Just, aborted yeah. babies, they almost all go to heaven, right? It's better for them. It was, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's better. It's, it's the baby's best interest to abort it. Yeah. Not, I, not live it, on earth and risk damnation. And if you do happen to be born by accident, you should smoke cigarettes as early as possible. Oh, yes. People say don't smoke. No, everybody should smoke. Mm-hmm. Your life is actually not worth living. Absolutely. Yeah, everyone should smoke. I recommend it. <laughs> uh, but no, I mean, abortion is a complicated issue. And I feel like... I mean, wasn't it David Foster Wallace in his uh, review of the dictionary? He talks about how he's pro-life and pro-choice. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, yeah. I might not be doing this justice, but I think it's like, even if you think it's always wrong for an individual abortion to happen, it's even worse for the government to have the power to prevent abortions from happening. Oh, yeah. I, I, I think of it kind of like adultery. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. it should not be illegal yeah. to cheat on your spouse, but that in no way licenses people to do it. Yeah, I like that too. Yeah, it's like, like, like the enforcement is worse than the crime <laughs> at that point mm-hmm. because it gives I mean because I mean like you can't give this is why I, I get kind of I, I, I'm surprised when like conservative like small government conservatives are pro or pro uh, or anti-abortion mm-hmm. because it's like think about what you're supporting uh-huh. like, like forget about like the, like the like the content of the abortion mm-hmm. you're giving the government license to intervene in somebody's body right what are the implications of that does that mean the government can tell you what to eat Mm-hmm. What not to eat? Yeah, should they be able to tell you to work out? Exactly, if you could lose a few pounds. Yeah, like punishable by law if you don't get on the treadmill, fatty. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and if we had universal health care, it would be a matter of public interest. Ooh, yeah, right. Which, I mean, it's already a matter of public interest right. because it's the public purse. Though. Have Medicare. Exactly. <laughs> it's yeah. You're costing the taxpayers money if you. If, Every minute you sit I, on the couch. <laughs> I am an advocate of lifespan limits. <laughs> no one on public assistance should be older than 75. <laughs> you gotta go. People used to say that about yeah. Obama, like, like, like the death panels. You yeah. That? yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and I mean, there, there is kind of a danger there when you start deciding, you know, government policy can decide right. when life begins and ends. Yeah. But... It is, yeah. I mean, there is a danger to that, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and if all society is invested financially in your health, mm-hmm. then at what point does this, this, do the masses have, like, the right to say you're done? <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> it's, it is yeah. kind of scary. If a majority voted for a fat tax, would that make it just? <laughs> <laughs> you, get, you get a tax for every 10 pounds. Oh, my gosh. That's funny. Um... Yeah, I mean they already do legislate like cigarettes and stuff, which I'm like I'm so like I'm a libertarian on that issue. It's like if I'm gonna put anything in my body, I'm gonna put it in my body. No, he's gonna tell me not to do that. Yeah. Um, but um, but abortion is morally uh, complicated because it's mm-hmm. like I totally agree. like yeah I would never I, I I don't I'm not I'll vote in on the pro choice ticket because I don't think the government ha- like need I don't think we should allow that mm-hmm. um, when it comes to just like the philosophy of government. 
Yeah. Um, honestly, abortion is is pretty far down the list of issues that that would cause me to vote one way or the other. I agree. Uh, I mean, it is just not very relevant to my life. A lot of people make that their only issue. Uh huh. And and I think that's strange. It's like, a, how both many sides. abortions are you gonna have? I know. We're <laughs> so, not gonna have exactly like like Catholics and like and like liberals like both make that like their salient point. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Like how like how prevalent is this in your life personally? Uh huh. Um, it must be a principal thing. Yeah. But um, I I I'm I'm immersed in the left, so like I just I naturally critique the left. Mm-hmm. Um. Even though I am of it, I critique it. Like, Orwell. And that's important. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. Um, but some of the rhetoric around pro-choice, I just find to be very gross. Mm-hmm. Like, 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 the, like, I see a lot of sense of, like, free abortion on demand. And it's mm-hmm. like, like, there's, like, sort of, like, a, like an intentional insensitivity to it. Right. Uh, like, that, oh, that just, you, don't, you don't have an obligation to a child that might be conceived in you. Exactly. Yeah. Exa- yeah. Exactly. Exactly. I was like, I, I, um, I went on a few dates with a girl who like, worked. For, she was like, a, like a, she worked for the Democratic Party, mm-hmm. and I w- We were talking about abortion, and I was like, look, like I'm pro-choice, but I don't think it should be used as like birth control. Mm-hmm. And she was like, very offended. She was like, well, if a woman decides to make it so, then that's okay. I'm like, I draw the line there uh-huh. because like if if you care about human rights mm-hmm. for things that are for people that are alive, mm-hmm. at some point, philosophically. Mm-hmm. You have to ask yourself the question, when is a human life a human life? Yeah. And what is a human life? Yeah. You have to like make that distinction at some point. Yeah. So like and, the callousness yeah. I don't appreciate. Mm-hmm. And and I think I think it's really related to the question of do parents have the right to hit their children? <laughs> right. And like in both cases I'm inclined to say, well, in each individual circumstance, it's probably not the right thing to do, but it's an overreach of government power for the government to step in and say no. Like, it shouldn't be illegal to spank your kids. <laughs> and, but right. you, have to, you have to draw the line somewhere. Child you can't beat a real the thing, shit out of your child. Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> right. But, but at the same time, parents have some kind of rights over their children. Now, mm-hmm. typically that assumes the children will continue to exist after the parents exercise their rights. But but I, it is a complicated issue. It's complicated. And, yes. And yes. I mean that like things are controversial for a reason. <laughs> like there's some stuff that's obvious and there's some stuff that people just see things differently because they have different values. And and we're losing our sense. We think everything should be obvious. Right. And it's just not. <laughs> yeah ob- yes exactly um yeah I, I i that's why i try i try to teach that to my students like like moral moral nuance everything's great nothing's black and white mm-hmm. uh I mean, that, yeah that's what you should learn in college right that's like, what they call yeah, exactly you know they call it a university is you yes the whole universe is available to you <laughs> exactly yeah yeah everything's supposed to get all fuzzy in college mm-hmm I know I did. (laughs) I mean, I've thought about getting vaccinated just for the sake of of having the pass and and being able to get into anywhere that requires it, but I feel like that's not a good reason. Just just for the sake of buying into the system. Yeah, it's yeah. Talking about manufactured consent. 
Yeah. Um, I feel like coerced consent. <laughs> yeah, and and it's it's something that makes me uncomfortable in a funny way. Yeah. Because I'm not opposed to the COVID vaccines, mm-hmm. and I mean I don't even doubt that they work. Right. I just, I never felt like I was at any great risk. Yeah. From from COVID. Mm-hmm. And so I never felt like the vaccine would give me much extra protection, but like totally separate from me not worrying about COVID is I just have a real distaste for compliance. Yes, compliance. And all of this messaging about how you have to get vaccinated and it's the right thing to do, it just turns me off and makes me want to say no fuck you yeah right and like double fuck you if if you want to check my papers to let me into a restaurant or something yeah like it's not the kind of thing that i would want to make a big deal about one way or the other yeah but but you have to but if if, if society is gonna draw lines like this Mm -hmm. I mean, 100%, I'm going to oppose these restrictions. Yeah. And I don't know. It makes me feel uncomfortable just seeing how much, how much I distrust society. Mm-hmm. And that if I'm seeing this message from, from TV and, and billboards and all these sources, that that's a reason to distrust it. They would have, I, I think like they would have had much higher vaccination rates if they hadn't made it, if they hadn't made an issue of compliance and, and, uh, and uh, mandates. Like, yeah. if, they, if, they, if they had just said, like, vaccines for this exist. Mm-hmm. If you want it, come get it. Right. I think we would have had a much higher rate of vaccination immediately. Because I think a lot of people like you were just like, like, we're, like, we're Americans. It's like, like there's a line in the sand when it comes to uh, coercion. Mm-hmm. Uh, we will make that decision for ourselves. Yeah. Um, and again, like the U.S. government is not a trustworthy institution. Right. And now there are these huge corporations that manufacture these. Mm-hmm. So it's like, can you blame people for not? You can't. You can't blame anybody for not wanting to get it. Yeah. So it's like, like, like yeah, when they mandated it, it's almost like, what are you trying to hide? Like, like if if the, if these things are that effective, mm-hmm. then people will just come get them. Yeah. <laughs> Why are you man? It's it's like censorship. It's like mm-hmm. if your argument is truly the best argument, you will not have to rely on silencing an opponent. Your argument will win out. Right. So it's just like it's inherently untrustworthy. Mm-hmm. And and because I think it's it's mostly just to make money. Like the point of all this vaccination campaign stuff is so that pharmaceutical companies can sell vaccines to public health authorities. Yes, and that's exactly and, what's happening. <laughs> yeah, and. And that's why it's like, it's kind of irrelevant how effective the vaccines are against, against any new strain of COVID. The mm-hmm. point is just to keep getting vaccinated so vaccines can keep moving through the system. Yes, exactly. And, and, and in, that, in that sense, it's not, even, it's, 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 it's not even in the best interest of the companies to make them that effective. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because you're gonna, they're going to eventually keep coming to get them. Yeah, I mean, I know people like these like follow the science people are, are, mm-hmm. are like insane because it's like for like two years every time I follow the science. Uh-huh. Now like the people who are like the hardest core about that are not following the science whatsoever uh-huh. because like they're like because like COVID hysteria like you can be so hysterical about COVID 
that it's like the safety precautions are not even following the signs. Yeah. It's like like I know I know people Palo Alto girls one mm-hmm. where she's like, I'm gonna get as many boosters as possible. Mm-hmm. And like, that doesn't even make sense. Uh-huh. Like if you get a booster, you you, need, you should wait for maximum efficacy. Right. You wait until it wears off. Yeah. She's like getting one every month. Uh-huh. It's like you like that's so idiotic. Yeah. Like what happened to follow the science? Yeah. This is not yeah. scientific. Also, you you don't need to wear a mask outside. That's stupid. And it doesn't yeah. transfer on surfaces. Why are you so paranoid? Mm-hmm. So it's like and this thing has been around long enough. Exactly. We have data on it now. Mm-hmm. We understand. I, I understand yeah. being. I, I was as afraid as anyone else. Of course. Like two years ago. For all we know, it was, it was a fucking fleshing zombie virus. Yeah. <laughs> at that point. Yeah. <laughs> I thought. I mean, I remember being afraid that like. It was going to travel through the vents of this apartment building and just kill me. Mm, oh, shit. Yeah, because yeah, we didn't know any better. Mm-hmm. Now we do. Yeah. <laughs> this would be reasonable. Yeah. People can't be reasonable. <laughs> <laughs> no, because it's, it's about so much more than just the virus at this point. It's about a cultural yeah. conflict. Yeah. Yeah, and that's... You know, that's one thing that I really liked about the new Spider-Man movie. Yeah. Just that as soon as... Peter Parker's identity becomes known, like he becomes a public figure, and immediately everyone takes sides for and against Spider Man. <laughs> <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah. You know, any, any issue, it's just like everyone's got to have their own side. I love J. Jonah Jameson in that movie too. Oh, it's like the Alex Jones type guy. <laughs> yeah. That was awesome. That was brilliant. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Anything. Anything's going to be politicized in America today. Mm-hmm. I knew, even before COVID was politicized, I was like, this shit's going to get politicized. Yeah. Um, I remember when it was just, like, the fringe people who were saying, hey, watch out for this virus in China. This is going to be a big deal. Yeah, I remember that, too. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I was, like, being an arrogant American, I was like, that's yeah. not going to come over here. <laughs> yeah. the, Was- the Washington Post said, get a grip, America. The flu is more dangerous than this. Oh, thing. my gosh. And how quickly <laughs> they reversed. And, like, now yeah. if anyone published that, like, yeah. Twitter would try to, like, take you down. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, as Rogan says, like, what is misinformation and real information changes all the time. Yeah, and that's why it's so silly to get a say, grip, yeah, America. we want to shut this guy down. Get a grip, America. Yeah, I remember, I remember when it was crankish to mm. worry about it. Yeah. Wow, that's funny. Mm-hmm. Now it's become crickish to not yeah, worry and, about it. And it's fucking Trump's fault. Because, mm. I mean, it's not really Trump's fault. As Trump just came out and said, you know, this virus is going to be fine. Don't worry about it. We don't need to shut down the economy, whatever. But it's like, Trump being nonchalant about it <laughs> meant that Everyone who was against Trump had to be hysterical. Exactly. Yes. And, and they're still burning that off. Yes. Yeah. Like, it, yeah. If, if if Trump had been a hardcore COVID lockdowner, then you know when Biden got into office, yes. it would have been like, okay, everyone, we can let up and get back to normal again. That's right. And they and and yeah, then you would you would have seen the same people who were taking it way too seriously being like. Taking the opposite position, like, this is not yeah. serious. Yeah. Because Trump said it. Anything he said, mm-hmm. like, like it, it was funny, it's funny to watch, it was funny to watch people, like, like, turn, like, their head all, like, their, like, like uh, trip head over heels to just, like, keep up with him and his opinions, mm-hmm. and to try to oppose whatever his opinion was. Yeah. And when he was, like, actually, like, like even a blind squirrel finds a nut. <laughs> and so it's, like, when he was, like, clearly right about something, mm-hmm. like, to see okay. them, like, go to, like, these contortions that impose him. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, like yeah, he yeah, like his polar like how polarizing he was certainly hurt the situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it it shocks me, like how like like why people reacted to him as strongly as they did. Um, yeah, that that really surprises me too. Because I I mean I think Bush was a far worse president than Trump, mm-hmm. and so it, like it, it's it's yeah, but like, for some reason he just like drives people insane, mm-hmm. literally. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and like. It can't just be that he's unpolished and he uses foul language. Because, like, I truly can't imagine that that, that anyone is really bothered by Trump being <laughs> abrasive. I don't know. Like, they're, they're, they're all assholes and perverts right. anyway. Trump is just, like, real obvious about it. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and, and I mean, maybe that's what they don't like about. Maybe it. they don't like having the system's corruption like thrown into their face like that. Yeah, yeah, that he he's so shameless about what everyone else in power tries to hide. That's what I like about. Him. He said the quiet part out loud all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But but I mean, there was a real kind of hysteria that made me think that 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 Trump would actually be a threat to established power. But the way in, people in reacted, he absolutely was not. Which is what makes it all so stupid. Yeah. It's like, like, like the reaction to them, you would have think, you would have thought he was like actually rounding people up and putting them in internment camps. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he never came close yeah. to doing that. No. He wouldn't have, he never had the, even if he wanted to, he didn't have the wherewithal to do it. Yeah. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. You, you'd almost think he was a threat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's like a milquetoast distraction. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. Yeah. Some like proxy culture war. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that, that amounts to nothing. Yeah. Um, I guess one, one way that, that Trump really did change things was he changed the conversation around some things. Yeah. Like, immigration comes to mind, but maybe that's a bad example. But I, I feel like there was this bipartisan consensus on immigration mm-hmm. where basically both parties agreed to look the other way about how many people were here illegally yeah because the republicans got a lot of cheap labor and right the democrats yeah. got a lot of votes right yeah it was it was, it was, it was sort of a, a backdoor handshake right yeah 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 and and trump came along and he was like no we're gonna build a wall on the border and and it messed up everybody's plans and that's probably why people got so mad. Yeah. Yeah. Like, no, dude, this was our this was our deal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. And also, like, people don't want to hear this, but he added more words to the American lexicon uh-huh. than anybody since like Mark Twain. <laughs> Bigly. Bigly, Kafifi. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, um I moved on her like a bitch. Which like <laughs> no one says that. Besides no. him. Yeah. I grabbed him brother. Like, who says these things? <laughs> Only, like, they're pure originals. Uh-huh. And uh, everybody, everybody knows them. Yeah. Um, yeah, he, he's sort of the American poet laureate in a way. He should have got the Nobel Prize instead of Bob Dylan. I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the man's got away with words. Yeah. <laughs> the man has his way with words. <laughs> <laughs> What a time to be alive. Though. I know, right? It's interesting, at least. <laughs> yeah. If you want my opinion, I think uh, things will get worse <laughs> faster in the next ten years than they did in the last ten. Mmm. I agree. That's, what makes you say my that? hunch. That's your hunch. Yeah. yeah. 
also that I feel like things have been getting worse in an accelerating way my whole life. <laughs> At least, okay. I feel like I can draw a direct line from the protests against George W. Bush and mm-hmm. the Iraq War mm-hmm. through the Tea Party protests yep. against Obama mm-hmm. through all the anti-Trump resistance protests all the way to January 6th. Yeah. And that what I see is each transition of power gets more and more contentious. Yeah, and right. And it's like, you know, Obama was more controversial than Bush and and Trump more than Obama. Exactly. And with Biden, it's like we're barely even a single country. Yeah. He's, I, oh, dude, you're so right. Yeah, I don't think, I don't think you reverse this process. Um, I don't think, I don't I don't think any how. single candidate could reverse it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if there is a solution, it's something nobody has thought of yet. That's a good point. Um, that's why that's right. I think that 9-11 is like really like the cru- like, like that is like the key. You can trace the whole century back to that event. Mm-hmm. Because 9-11 led to the invasions of Iraq. The invasions of Iraq led to the crazy protests against yeah. Bush and so on and so forth. Like, mm-hmm. we never recovered from it. Like, it, it, it's mm-hmm. clear to me that the terror w- the terrorists did win. Because, like, because, like, since then, it seems that the country has been torn apart from the inside. Mm-hmm. So it's like, fuck, man, we lost. <laughs> that, like, we didn't get back up from that. Yeah. That's, that's my pessimistic take on it. That's how it seems. I, and, and what I'm afraid of with all this COVID stuff is that, like, it's just never going to go away. It's going to be like taking off our shoes in the airport. Yeah, right. We just take it for granted that's a part of life. Yes, when, yes, that's so we, true. We got along just fine without all this stuff. Yes, that's a if, good point. If you can point. get everybody scared enough, mm-hmm. just accept whatever you tell them. Yeah, and, yeah, and these crises keep coming, like these, these accelerating crises. Mm-hmm. Um, damn, that's a crazy thought. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there's something to that. I, 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 hope, I wish that like a third party could come and like unite disparate, disparate uh, 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 constituents, but mm-hmm. there's this no, like, like, like the, 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 the electoral system is such that that can't really happen. Mm-hmm. The, the parties are too entrenched. They're, they're really, I think, the difference in the Republicans are two heads of the same party in a way. Okay. They're like they're like a duopoly. Yeah. It's like it, it's like um, man, what's a good example of like a duopoly? Like um, it's almost like Samsung and Apple. It's like mm-hmm. they kind of need each other in a way. Mm-hmm. It's like they uh, if one it, yeah, like the Democrats and the Republicans, it's like they feed off of each other because like when one's when one's in power, the other one can like make their critique and then trade off. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like a tacit deal. And really, like, they don't, they don't really oppose anything fundamental. Like, they don't really disagree on fundamental things. Mm-hmm. Like, like, neither of them really wants to disrupt the business cycle that much. Uh-huh. Um, neither of them really want to reform, like, electoral... No, no, neither of them want to, like, get rid of, like, money in politics. Uh-huh. So it's like, what do they actually disagree on? Like, kind of, like, hollow cultural issues, like, identity issues. So it's like... Yeah. You're like you're like shades apart, mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's like it, it's so frustrating for me because I really don't identify with either one. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I feel like we're stuck in that cycle. I don't know what I don't know what the solution is, but mm-hmm. um, I don't know I don't know if any change can come out of things cur- as they're currently uh, situated. Yeah, I kind of think the solution is gonna be the end of nations and states as we understand them. Mm. And that we'll end up with totally different ways of organizing ourselves because mm. 
the internet lets us come together in a decentralized way. Yeah, right. But, I mean, I, I don't know what sort of shape that will take. Maybe that, I mean, there might be a connection between that and uh, this sort of frantic attempt to uh, administer people um, mm-hmm. in this, uh, like, through, like, the COVID cards and stuff like that, and to, like, mm-hmm. to reassert, uh, like, the power of the nation state over people. Right. Because maybe there's a fear within the governments that the traditional nation state model is losing its grip on people. Mm-hmm. So, like, they have to, like, reassert a control. Right. They need to classify and account yes. for everybody. Yes, it makes it so you can't you, you I mean you can't even really travel under certain circumstances. Mm-hmm. Um because right. it's like how like how like, it, it, like I can see how it can be it, like it would get increasingly hard to um I'm like like Chopsky, like it is hard to like manufacture consent mm-hmm. if if social media is as free as it is. Right. Like like it's there's just too much like what does it even mean to be an American? Like like I feel like Gen Z that doesn't even like feel that. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like, like, the, like the concept of America means little to nothing to them. Yeah. So that, that's they, probably very they threatening. They really live in the global village. Yes. Yeah, they're in McLuhan's global village. Mm-hmm. And so that's probably very threatening to certain, you know, like, yeah. nationally interested people. Yeah. But, but if they have to check your vaccine card when you cross between U.S. and Canada, that just reinforces that the U.S. and Canada are real things with real yes. authority. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, I, took a, I took a class at WashU on a... Uh, the, like the early mod, like like the like the Renaissance period, mm-hmm. and like a like a fifteenth and sixteenth century England. Uh huh. And uh, this is when the feudal system broke apart, and it, and it, uh, what replaced it was private property and like early capitalism, and gotcha. people weren't like like uh, people were like released from like their like feudal land situations. They were just mm-hmm. kind of like, traveling around everywhere. Mm-hmm. Like 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 cities were kind of getting bigger. Uh huh. And so a lot of like the the old powers got really freaked out because they were like. We don't like we don't know people's stations anymore. We we don't know who's a serf. Uh-huh. We don't know who's a lord anymore. Right. And because people are like dressing however they want and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so what they did was like they tried to control um, people's like like try to classify people by number one ID cards. Mm-hmm. Like identification cards were not a thing in the West until like s- the 16th century in England. Interesting. Because they wanted to know who you were and track uh-huh. you across. Because they couldn't they didn't want people just traveling all willy nilly. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And they also made a. a I forget what their uh, sartorial laws where like you couldn't dress a certain way. Oh, you really? couldn't dress above your station. Really? Yeah, because it was it, it was it was upsetting the social fabric too much. Wow. And no so pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> nice, <laughs> nice. So um, I mean, like the cards at least remind me of, like the vaccine cards where it's mm-hmm. like we need to like keep a track of people because we're right. losing a grip on them. Right. And mm-hmm. the state has to see everyone. Everyone's got a well-defined role. Exactly. We yeah. We need to have a stable identity so we can follow you if need be mm-hmm. um we can't lose and, track mm-hmm. and isn't that um isn't that one of the reasons marx admired capitalism that it, it broke up the old yeah that's order. the communist manifesto mm. yeah i just taught that a couple weeks ago um, nice yeah because like for marx like it's not like he thinks capitalism is like a bad thing he thought it was the transitional stage to communism he thought right? it was necessary uh-huh. yeah exactly you don't have communism with like a very advanced capitalism exactly mm-hmm. transition and so, like, the good things about capitalism would, like, give way to, like, communism. Mm-hmm. And one of the good things was it broke up, like, these, like, servile relationships. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And you, like, you can't have, like, an egalitarian society without this first step mm-hmm. of, like, I can have my own property, so I don't need to, like, be attached to this lord anymore. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And, like, that allows, like, a freedom of movement and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. An individuality 
and like a recognition of people that, uh-huh. that would not have existed before. Uh-huh. So yeah, yeah, like capitalism, like the, yeah, like Marx says, like freedom. Capitalism does create freedom. Mm-hmm. Uh, he says it also creates slavery, and that's like the dialectic. Uh-huh. That's the conflict within the cap within capitalism. Uh-huh. And so that conflict is going to resolve mm. into communism. This is the theory. Gotcha. Um, and and so that's yeah. that's why it's inevitable that capitalism develops into communism. Yes. Because capitalism has contradictions. Yes. That make it unstable. Exactly. Uh-huh. You get it. Exactly. Like the whole the whole theory is based on the contradictions mm-hmm. of capitalism. Yeah. And gotcha. it, 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 yeah. It will not be able to sustain itself because the contra- it will crumble under the weight of the contradictions. Because mm-hmm. you can have like you can't have like the ideas of freedom that were conditioned by capitalism. Right. While also having while also at the same time having people who like really have no freedom because they have to sell their labor all the time. Mm-hmm. So it's like you have you have workers in the industrial area, especially where it's like you have to like sell their bodies to a factory. Mm-hmm. And it's like wait, you're like you're giving me the rhetoric of freedom and individuality in which I have none. Mm-hmm. And so that would create like the, like the grand conflict within mm-hmm. capitalism. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. It's interesting. I think Marx had like the correct uh, diagnosis, but uh, mm-hmm. incorrect uh, uh, prescription. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I think his critique of capitalism is pretty spot on. Mm-hmm. Uh, communism, I don't think, is like. That has not turned out. <laughs> but as long as capitalism is a thing, like there will be marks. Yeah. Because he gave the mo- he gave the most incisive critique of it. Because mm-hmm. it's not a perfect system. Uh huh. And yeah, the the internal contradictions of capitalism are still there. Yes. Even even if communism isn't the solution, mm-hmm. that doesn't mean the problems go away. Exactly. Exactly. Is there a dialectic between tradition and revolution that? Mm cashes out into gradual socialist progress like we've seen in right. history. Yeah, because that is actually how history is born out. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, a lot of politicians have just said that, like, we just need to, like, do this through the ballot box. Like, we can't, like, uh-huh. this is not going to, like, have a revolution for all kinds of reasons. Mm-hmm. Oh, what do you mean by tradition? Whatever it is that opposes revolution. The, the, the inertia of oh, the I status see. quo. Okay. Yeah, so, yeah, I guess that there's one way in which it resolves itself through a slow transition. Like, like mm-hmm. labor unions, I think, are a good example of that. Mm-hmm. Like, no one, like, like look, like the, uh, like, the fact of the matter is, most people don't want to fight a revolution. Right. It's yeah. horrible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so, like the, uh, like, the alternative solution is, okay, we're gonna, like, the workers, we're gonna, like, have our little organizations, and in return for not, like, guillotining you guys, mm-hmm. we'll have certain demands made, and then you will have to, like, this was this was mm-hmm. the, the consensus in America in the mid century. Uh-huh. Like labor unions were very powerful, and the factory owners like gave quite a few concessions. Mm-hmm. But the factory owners still got to be the factory owners. They still right. got to be the capitalists. Right, right. And to me, this arrangement worked pretty well uh-huh. <laughs> for yeah. a long time. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. Mm-hmm. But I don't. Marx doesn't account for that. No. That that that's actually that's actually one of like the biggest like critiques of Marx post Marx. Mm-hmm. Essentially, Marx didn't realize like that the middle class could be a thing. Like for Marx, there's only two classes because mm-hmm. in in like in England in 1850, uh-huh. it, that's how it looked. Right, is you right. had like a bunch of factory workers and the guys who owned the factory. Uh-huh. It's like how could how could there not be a conflict? Uh-huh. Whereas right. like as capitalism progressed, like it was able to sort of give people a middle way. Mm-hmm. Like oh, you can afford enough. Like mm-hmm. you didn't have to live in a tenement. <laughs> uh-huh. Like you could be a worker but also have like your own property. Right, and so this right. is like the middle class strata that like sort of like prevented the revolution. Interesting. Which is why you get like that accelerationist argument, like no, we cannot uh-huh. have the we cannot have unions, uh-huh. we cannot have uh, universal health care, we cannot have these things that make capitalism more bearable mm-hmm. because that just prevents the revolution. Right. Mm-hmm. And and in fact, it did prevent the revolution. It did because it worked <laughs> because mm-hmm. like that was like a, for most people that was like a fine arrangement. 
Yeah. 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 Um, a lot of those, those, that arrangement has kind of withered away, I think, in the past few decades, where mm-hmm. people it, don't have the things they used to. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, like, that, 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 that could be a problem. Yeah. <laughs> going forward. Yeah. Because, I mean, like, a lot of people, like, you don't have health care right now. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Things like that. I used to be part of the middle class. <laughs> You're being proletarianized, as Marx would say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like, I, the, the, the pandemic was like a dream come true for me at first. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, oh, I don't yeah. have to leave this apartment and talk to people. <laughs> it was fucking sweet. It was. I was like, I dreamt of this. Mm-hmm. Like, all the meetings that I, I never wanted to go to and wished, yeah. I, oh man, if there's only some cataclysmic event that would keep me from having to do this uh-huh. it happened yep. and it was awesome <laughs> yeah um and i proved yeah. i can be just as productive working from home yeah pretty much me too um but eventually it was like man too much of a good thing yeah <laughs> yeah i i i i don't want to ever go back to the office like five like to the extent that we were before like because it's mm-hmm. just it was the office had been more abundant and inefficient for years before covid mm-hmm. covid just made it like apparent that like we yeah. don't really have to be in an office for five days a week anymore. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of those things, you know, where it's like the system had become inefficient. It just needed like a, an event to like push it away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the refuse, you know, they said that like yeah. something similar to happened with the black plague and feudalism. It was like, mm-hmm. pe- like there were so few people left after the black plague that like they were able to amass much more personal wealth. Interesting. And that like that laid the groundwork to just like, just like feudalism, feudalism to like crumble completely mm. <laughs> uh, because like, the lords couldn't be like horrid. Like you can't have you can't have that much grain, uh-huh. because like the lords needed people to work because there were so few people left, oh. and so like the bargaining power shifted to the peasants. Gotcha. Which when you look, you, you hear about this labor shortage, mm-hmm. so called. That might be what we're seeing. Mm. That another transition of uh-huh. like, oh no, like the lord stratum is having bargaining power now because, right. There's simply not enough of it. Like there's like there's there's not enough labor to go around. So it's like an employer can only can only make so many demands. Right. Before they actually have to like, pay you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? <laughs> Can't just let the the serfs be sharecroppers anymore. Exactly. <laughs> you gotta pay them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, it could be good things. That gives me hope, I guess. <laughs> we need some way of saying which actions are right and wrong. Yeah, exactly. That's why, like, I, like, like without, without a moral framework, people slip into this utilitarianism where it's just like, what is it practical? What it like? Mm-hmm. I, I'm afraid like AI thinks like that. Like it's yeah yeah it's, um it's it's not um I don't know if I'm prepared to say why it's not right, but it's not. <laughs> um, uh, there's a point where it's rational to hurt somebody else if it helps you. It's like mm-hmm. yeah, that would be rat that could be reasonably argued. Mm-hmm. It's but it's like that's not right. It's mm-hmm. um you, we mm-hmm. can't go there um yeah. as a society mm-hmm. um. I think God is the best moral framework. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, people need a moral framework for sure. Um, just to keep this whole thing going, um, at the very least, you <laughs> yeah. know? Yeah. So we don't all kill each other. Yeah. No one wants to go back to that. We got, we, we came out, we came out of that. We got, we rose, the human beings rose ourselves out of the dirt mm-hmm. of nature. Yeah. And, uh, we're there. We don't want to go back to that. Right. I think, I think that's what people are so maybe, terrified maybe, of. Yeah. But maybe that's just because we're weak. <laughs> there are people who believe that philosophically, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, even going back to Rousseau, it's like, you know, the state of nature is like a good state. Mm-hmm. That's like, that's where goodness is found in human beings. Mm-hmm. It's society that corrupts you. Yeah. Um, and the state of nature is where you find the conditions that 
raised mankind mm-hmm. above the animals. Yes. And so shouldn't we be trying to replicate those conditions in order to further elevate whatever remnant of mankind is fit to become the Superman? <laughs> it's only Nietzsche. Yeah. Um, I've read a lot of Nietzsche. Yeah. <laughs> I was a huge atheist edgelord. <laughs> <laughs> weak and misbegotten shall perish. <laughs> yeah, okay, Nietzsche, this is an interesting, interesting thread. Um... We, okay, we, where was I? We came out of the dirt. Um, oh, yeah, moral frameworks. Like, yeah. <laughs> what, 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 what would a society without a moral framework look like? It would look like, like, a, like an animal. Mm-hmm. It would be, like, indiscriminable from, like, nature. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, and, like, they, I don't know, people are I don't know, deeply afraid of nature in a way. It's um, almost mm-hmm. ingrained to not return to it. Because um, it's unpredictable. It's unpredictable, yeah, like, yeah, exactly. It's bestial, you, yeah, it's, um... It's out of our control. It's out of our control. Yeah, maybe there's something to be said for, like, re-experiencing that. That's why people camp, I guess. But, uh, uh re-experiencing That's why people it. drop acid. That's right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I like that. That's why people drop acid. A it's mental a state of nature. in your mind. Yes, the mental state of nature. Re-explore that. Safari <laughs> in your own head. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Um, there's things that can eat you. <laughs> exactly. Things that can eat you. Um... But yeah, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to justify moral frameworks <laughs> and why, why, why like they're good and why we need them. Um, I don't know. Um, I think I don't. So to me, this is the fundamental question of atheism or, or theism is like, is God an adventure or is God a discovery? Mm-hmm. And I believe God is a discovery. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we discover God without a moral framework. I almost think the moral framework precedes God because uh-huh. it's like, I think once, once, pe- whenever this happened, when, when people mm-hmm. started like recognizing like a fellow feeling mm-hmm. among other people, mm-hmm. I think that's when people discovered God. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, we can do better than this. Right. And then when that realization occurred, mm-hmm. that was when we found God. Because if we can do better than this, mm-hmm. what can, what, like, who's looking out for us? Uh huh. And so, like, there was, yeah. like, extrapolation, I think. Yeah, it's like, how much better is it possible to be? Exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. And, like, the very fact that we can imagine better mm-hmm. than us yeah. suggests that there is something better. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I, 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 I don't know if you so get that if, like, if, if human beings remain, like, in a state of nature. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Like, if, if all that created mankind is just the struggle to survive and, and to dominate others, mm-hmm. then that would suggest a pretty bleak view of human nature. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and I just, yeah, and like, yeah, our human, human beings are not, like, there's bleak parts of human nature. Mm-hmm. But like, it's reductive and edgelord to like, say that's all we are. Because mm-hmm. obviously yeah. we're not. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, if you go around, like, you'll find beautiful things if you look for it. Mm-hmm. Just, like, yeah. you can't live in a state of naive bliss and, like, ignore mm-hmm. bad things about human nature. Yeah, no. That's why Catholicism makes a lot of sense, because mm-hmm. it acknowledges both. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think Chesterton was especially sensitive to that. Ooh. Uh, Catholicism is a big tent. It's, <laughs> it's got room for everyone. Yes. <laughs> it's, got, it's got room for contradiction and paradox. Mm, yes. That's what, I love that about it. Yes, exactly. It's, 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 it's intellectual, but that's probably what makes it intellectual. Mm-hmm. It was like Eliot who said, um, 
like the market intelligence is holding two contradictory ideas at once and being oh, able to like reconcile that. Interesting. Yeah, that's like Catholicism. Mm-hmm. That's what makes it different from evangelicalism. I feel like I go for evangelicalism all the time. Uh-huh. Uh, but, uh, like... I mean, it has <laughs> given Christianity a bad name. That's what, that's what upsets me about it. It's like, yeah. everyone thinks we're bad, which uh-huh. like, I don't want to be associated with that. Yeah. Um, because it's not intellectual, mm-hmm. um, usually. Mm-hmm. Beca- and it's not intellectual because it does not acknowledge contradiction. Mm, like it's yeah. like like you know like God is like one way, and human beings are one way. It's very black and white kind of thing. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's yeah. Like, but Catholicism is not that. It's like no, there's contradictions. Right. The Bible says one thing, and science says other things. Exactly. And that doesn't yes. mean we just have to throw one of them out. Exactly. Yes. It means the world is more complex than we bargained for. <laughs> <laughs> right. 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 Um, just there are different ways of knowing. Yes. Yes, why is that so hard to comprehend? Because some ways of knowing things work better for certain people. Yeah. Yeah. And for certain things. Mm-hmm. For certain things. Like, can, yeah. can, can the Bible like, show you about atoms? No. 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 But it, but it, can, put, but it can put that discovery in, in, in a framework that gives it meaning. Yeah, or like, evolution is not in the Bible, but it says that God made mankind out of the dust of the earth. Mm-hmm. Well, right. that's what the evolutionary story says, too. Mm-hmm. Is that right. we are actually made of the materials of the earth. Yes. And you don't have to imagine that God made a clay figurine. Right. And it came to life like Pinocchio. <laughs> <laughs> right, Exactly. With no process, like, like, yeah, like, why, yeah. like, why is it, why is it not possible that God work made creates through process? Mm-hmm. I mean, like uh, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. Yeah, it starts off small like a cell. Yeah, and it grows. Mm-hmm. To me, that's completely commensurate with with biological reality of life and creation. Yeah, that's a great point. Mm-hmm. And it's also like the tree of life mm-hmm. that it starts out with one kind of organism and it branches out into all this diversity. Yes. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. <laughs> it's almost like you can see design patterns in nature. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> right. Yes. Design patterns. Yeah, yeah man. It's good. I feel like this has been good. I feel like yeah. we let this like a good place to like maybe put a period on it because it's just oh, yeah. fairly encouraging. Yeah. yeah. yeah it's getting late. <laughs> Thank you for listening. And so it goes and